Number one, decide to rob a bank. True. Okay. Fair. Number two, gotta have a plan. It's critical to any part of the success. Which he does. If he this does. is what I thought was great, was that <laughs> stuff happened before the movie began. Yeah. Which I thought was really important. And because he, a Jimmy comes out with a diorama <laughs> of what they're going to <laughs> rob, little, which was like, beautiful. Cardboard mock-up. I loved it. <laughs> this is making up. I have a, my biggest problem with the movie Magic Mike is that I think um, they only made one design for the furniture that the mic in question is selling. And I sure. think that that's a huge flaw for the movie and the character. And in this movie, they completely redeemed Channing Tatum's prop work because he got this little diorama. <laughs> My favorite thing about the diorama is it opens. There's, there's things inside of it. It's got layers. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by podcaster, dungeon master, internet gamer, uh, Eric Silver. Eric, welcome to the show. Internet gamer, that's a good internet one. Internet gamer. I like that. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Buttman69. We're going to do a, a speed run of Logan Lucky. Uh, this is how you hit, get all the bosses and finish within 20 minutes. Is that what you do? <laughs> If we finish this podcast in 20 minutes, it will be a feat that the show has never once even come close to accomplishing. So. <laughs> it's going to take 20 minutes just to talk about all the people in this movie. First. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, let's. There's a question I like to ask at the top of every episode. I feel like now's as good a time to ask it as any. Um, why did we watch Logan Lucky? <laughs> yeah. Logan Lucky is actually not like a movie I love. I've actually only seen it mm -hmm. once before. But uh, my wife, Amanda, and I are big heist movie people. We watch yes. a lot of heist movies together. It's yes. our favorite genre. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, there's a thing in both of our brains where we like that people have jobs and are good at them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's probably why it's our favorite genre. And also we love action movies. Um, and it's funny that this movie is truly a combination of two of our favorite movies. And I love how it exists kind of on this continuum from Ocean's Eleven on the left, mm -hmm. it all going through time and knives out on the right. <laughs> And Logan Lucky is truly in the middle. Uh, the entire time, I'll be making a, a chart of, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, <laughs> how much Ocean's Eleven and how much um, Knives Out is here. Because it has it shares so much DNA with both. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly original and refreshing. I mean, a big thing we can talk about is that this is in the beginning of Steven Soderbergh's I'm going to do what I want phase. Yes. Um, this is before he started just making random shit on HBO mm. Max and filming stuff with an iPhone. Um, but this was like his first foray into cutting out the studios and doing exactly what he wanted, which is why everything feels so good and why there are so many actors just here doing their thing for mm. like 15 minutes. Shout out to Hillary Swank. So <laughs> I, Swank. And then, of course, like the stuff that I love about Ocean's Eleven, the heist and how good Steven Soderbergh is about shooting heists. Um, mm-hmm. And then the originality of Knives Out and the use of Daniel Craig, of course. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the, of the the first Knives Out, which mm -hmm. was great. And it's kind of funny how – did you see Glass – I mean, you did Glass Onion on this podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, we covered it before, yeah. Right. So Glass Onion is funny about how the, the, the sequel to Knives Out was all about, wow, immediately – Benoit Blanc is in a rut and does not know what to do. <laughs> it's I like that feels like mm -hmm. such a third 
epi- a third uh, movie in a series that we're we're acknowledging the fact that this is a sequel and this is unsustainable. But Ryan Johnson immediately ran to that because it's like, oh, this thing I wanted to do, this like little project I started putting together, has blown up because so many people like it, and Netflix is using it for their Oscar plays as well. So it's it's there's another thing, this other theme of what do move uh, what do movie people get to do in the movie business and how much do they get their hands on it i had also just i've also uh just seen the dungeons and dragons movie uh, i did not pay for it i went to like a <laughs> screening before and like man i'm so bummed out at seeing my review of it is basically you know the wives tale the myth that if you send an idea to yourself in the mail you can use that it's it like oh this is my idea that I, it's a pre-trademark almost Mm-hmm. That's how it felt. The Dungeons and Dragons movie felt like Hasbro was like, "We have IP. It's ours. <laughs> we made a movie of it. So the 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 setting in the books of Dungeons and Dragons is the real IP. We promise." And I was really annoyed by it. And then watching something so truly made just to make the story mm-hmm. was so refreshing. And of course, um, I feel that way about Ocean's Eleven and about um, uh, Knives Out as well. Yeah, if you're gonna have anyone direct a heist movie, this is the this is the team to do it, uh, and exactly. it does. It's refreshingly standalone. Um, we get a lot of sequels and franchise movies in this podcast. It's nice to get something that is just kind of contained on its own. It's trying to do exactly what it wants to do, what its vision is, and uh, nothing more, nothing less. So, with the sound of John Denver, let's jump on into Logan Lucky, <laughs> a through Truly. line I did not expect, but I guess maybe I should have given the. Um, West Virginia setting of the film. Yeah, there was something really funny about crossing state lines in the yeah. beginning. Um, <laughs> how we constantly see the um, where where does he? Oh, in Charlotte, it's in uh, Charlottesville, right? That's mm-hmm. in North Carolina. Yes. So it's kind of interesting how uh, North Carolina is where the setting is, but he lives in West Virginia, and everyone lives in West Virginia. Um, Joe Bang has a West Virginia tattoo on his neck. Uh, and then, of course, they're moving. Uh, his daughter and mm-hmm. uh, his ex-wife are moving to Tennessee. So it's kind of funny about how you know the state lines only matter when we're talking about like correctional facilities and being, and of course, like taxes and things that happen to people who have seasonal work, like the Logans. And I thought that that was really interesting. Yeah, it's 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 making good use of the setting to kind of justify what's happening. But he's listening to some John Denver, our good boy Channing Tatum. Playing Jimmy Logan. Love to see it for him. I completely forgot that his director, Steven Soundberg, also directed Magic Mike. So this is a real revival of the Channing Tatum leading role in his movies. I would say that this is the most Steven Soderbergh movie ever because it combines the Oceans movies and uh, <laughs> Chaboy Channing Tatum. It's all yes. everything. And then, of course, cutting out the studio system. The three things <laughs> Soderbergh's known for. It's all he's ever wanted. Yeah, truly. <laughs> Uh, but Jimmy Channing Tatum is fixing up a car, talking to his young daughter, Sadie, all about John Denver and how meaningful these songs are to him and the backstory behind it. She asks him a little bit about if he's going to come to her rehearsal because she participates in pageants and being the good father he is, despite his divorce, uh, he's like, of course, I'll I'll be there for you. You know, my, my dear daughter, I'm, I, I'm a caring father. <laughs> <laughs> It did sort of feel like we need to establish early on, like, he's not a deadbeat dad. This is a good character that you should be a fan of. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this first scene that sets up a lot of expectations of what we understand. Like, Mm -hmm. Channing Tatum, not his phone 
running out. That's very important for later. Yes. Uh, Channing Tatum not knowing, or sorry, Jimmy Logan. Jimmy Logan <laughs> not knowing when the rehearsal was was very mm-hmm. important. You think he's scatterbrained? He's not. He was whether or not like that's a expectation put on him, or he's thinking about more important things. I don't know. I maybe he's seeding <laughs> the fact that he's not very organized, uh, even though he definitely is when he says cauliflower, which is something we'll, we'll yes. bring up later. Also, <laughs> in the beginning, so much happens in this movie. I hope you <laughs> just kind of try to move forward, or this yes. this ap- podcast episode will be as long as the movie, if not longer, because so oh, much I'm, happens. I'm so sorry. So frequently, this podcast is the length of the movie. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. The, in this one in particular, Jesus, yeah. this, mo- this movie. I, I, I kept waiting for like the part of this movie where the heist would happen and we'd sort of streamline events and it would just be, okay, now we're moving through the steps. Something goes wrong. Now we're going to move through steps again. Because so often in a heist movie, I feel like there's a lot of, there'll be like 30 minutes to an hour of intensive planning and setup. And then the actual heist itself is pretty speedy. This movie is pretty thick all the way through. (laughs) Yeah. Did you like this? I think with my action movies, I think people like to chew the fat. I think Mm -hmm. a good example of this is Die Hard, that Bruce Willis is making quips and jokes constantly (laughs) and like things go wrong and then Mm -hmm. then we go to different places and blah, 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 which is not to say there were not um, lots of weird threads happening at the same time, (laughs) but they were all related to the actual heist. There is no fat on this movie and I couldn't decide if I loved it, but I sure was taken by how masterful it was. Yeah, I think it's really well constructed. For me, there was bits of it where I'm like, I this this is dragging just a little bit because I kind of know where this is going. I've seen enough heist movies to have an understanding of what's supposed to happen next, more or less. But I I do think like like you're saying, there's not a lot of extra fat on this, so I'm not quite sure what they would trim to kind of cut the runtime down a little bit. It's almost like they have to put in more fat, honestly. Yeah. Like, it needs to be... <laughs> like, should it be 10 minutes longer to give us a breath? Because I could not even remember what the deal was with the cat lady. <laughs> with, um... What was her name? Like, uh, like Marine or... Hold on. It was something wild. It was, like, Germa or something. Gleema. Gleema, Gleema. Purdue. Gleema God. Purdue, rich, interesting character who appears in so, so much and so, so <laughs> this movie. <laughs> Who's very super important to Critical it? Critical to the plot. <laughs> yeah, I could not remember what the deal was. Like ha- an hour into the movie, I was like, "Wait, why were they? Why did they get a cake for <laughs> Gleema? I just couldn't even remember. <laughs> so much happened. Yeah, I think in the way that like Glass Onion and Knives Out are master classes and set up and payoff. Um, oh, hello, Ziggy. Cat uh, <laughs> <laughs> frequent guest on the podcast. Ziggy has so many thoughts on Logan Lucky. Um, in the way that the Glass Onion and Knives Out are kind of masterclasses and set up and payoff and making sure that you kind of key in on the critical things you need to remember for later. There were a few times in this movie where I'm like, I know I've seen this or heard this referenced before. Sure. So it's probably was set up. But it, there's just so much coming at me all the time that I was not able to differentiate what was going to be especially important. This cat butt. There's a cat face. butt just right in your face. Yeah. <laughs> She's mad. She's on a diet. Uh, so pissed. Uh, but we then go over to Charlotte, North Carolina, where Jimmy is working construction, uh, heading out into the light from under a NASCAR racetrack and into his boss's office. He's being let go because someone saw him limping, one of the higher ups, and it's a liability issue. Uh, he has a prosthetic leg, I believe. Oh, I thought he just had a, or I thought is it he just just had a limp. limp. He just has a limp because he's wearing the knee okay. brace all the time. 
that's what I thought at first, and then I doubted it later on in the film because they're like, you, you're matching set, but that, that makes much more sense. Yes, no, you can't yeah. take what Seth MacFarlane says to you. That's true. <laughs> you can't do that. Jimmy angrily drives off, pulling up to more John Denver on the radio as he drives back into West Virginia. There is so much John Denver in this movie and so little all at once. It's like they got the rights to like one and a half songs. <laughs> See, this is where all of the money went to was getting this, this fucking song. <laughs> They wanted that West Virginia, you know? Everyone knows the West Virginia song. We got to throw it in there. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. He goes to his sister's salon. His sister has a fun name also, Melly. She's a hairstylist doing the hair of the purple lady of exposition who is here god. to tell us all about Jimmy's backstory. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, my God. If you're going to put exposition in someone's mouth, do it yeah. in a purple-haired church lady's mouth. <laughs> Uh, also, great. shout out to Riley Keough, ingenue, working with uh, Plucked Out of Obscurity by Steven Soderbergh, <laughs> and now one of the hottest actresses out there. I also love how Melly's um, outfit is like unabashedly um, crop tops. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's really important because, you know, they reference the Melly magic, and I understand mm-hmm. that she. It's again, it, everyone thinks that the Logans are stupid or unworthy of like. Uh, respect and I think that they just they're just there are who they are there was something while I was thinking about like Ocean's Eleven as an LA movie because Mm -hmm. it is because of all the celebrities in it or like Las Vegas movie or the relationship between LA and Las Vegas this was like I like that this was everything was very low frequency no Mm -hmm. one except for Joe Bang who was just kind of vibing who was not (laughs) showy just a weirdo yeah. Like they, everyone just was very low key. And I think the only person who wasn't low key is the celebrity, right? It's a kind of the contrast. <laughs> I don't know if Steven Soderbergh, I don't know where he's from or if he was doing this. Cause I think it's a little patronizing sometimes, but it's like, wow, everyone's so down to earth in the South, but he did it. He, the, all the characters were like that. I thought it was, yeah. they were all really well written. Everyone's very low frequency. It felt, they all felt very real to the, this version of the kind of like Appalachian South area that you would expect to see. Like I, I live relatively close to there. Um, Mm. and it's, it's all very, uh, very true to the real world in some ways. I mean, obviously everyone is a character, but these are the personalities that you would expect to see in like a small West Virginia town. Um, yeah, I also loved, and I'm like, I didn't know, I think this is also like, a little bit of flyover stuff, but I kind of like the idea of saying that like the entire county was a small town, which worked yeah. <laughs> really well by with delivering exposition. But I kind of like that everyone knew about the Logans was pretty. That was actually kind of interesting, yes. and I guess it made sense because of uh, the purple lady said that uh, Jimmy Logan getting <laughs> out Logan. and being an NFL star, mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. Yeah, her convenient ex- exposition telling us that Jimmy was back in high school, like star quarterback you know he was the football player of this small town and then he had an accident and all of that went up in smoke uh she also tells us about her husband the major who really liked lsu football but she was always just a big fan of the jerseys because they were royal colors purple and gold this is not really going to come up later but i love this lady (laughs) (laughs) she was so good to that point i think uh, because i don't know are you a sports person 
I, I, I got to rep Philadelphia sports uh, when it oh, comes okay. up. Oh, okay. Go, yeah, go Eagles, go Sixers. <laughs> go Birds, Absolutely, yes. go Birds. Um, to that point, I guess to frame it in Friday Night Lights terms for everyone yes. if you watch it, <laughs> the parts where like people from the, the high school go to college and struggle, I think mm-hmm. that's like the difference between – like he, I thought that he was going to go to LSU, and LSU is a very, very, very well-regarded like blue blood college football team. So I mm-hmm. thought that that was why she was referencing that um, was that, and I'm like, you know, it's in Louisiana. They're from, he, it's not like he was even playing for the university of West Virginia team mm-hmm. who are, who is fine. And also D one, but not like a powerhouse, um, especially at the time when they were making the show. Um, so I, thought, I just thought that was, or when they were making this movie. So I thought that that was actually quite interesting. I thought that he was going to go to LSU, and then he mm. had the knee injury. So, like, he was going to be big-time college player, probably then NFL player. That's what I thought, right. the, why she said that. Yeah, and it's just kind of set up, like, this injury is not only costing him his job now, but it's it was a huge turning point in his life, and it's how he got to the kind of, the, the lower class state that he's been struggling with currently. Jimmy is off to go take uh, Sadie, his daughter, to her dance thing later on. Uh, and he tells his sister that I'll, I'll be there to pick her up. Uh, but his sister informs him that that event was yesterday. Right. <laughs> this is really, th- I thought that this was really funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Above all the stuff that I said already. You keep going. Yeah. We have so much more to do. There's so keep much going. more to get through. <laughs> she tried to call him. His phone was off because his phone was shut off because he couldn't pay the phone bill. That's also going to be important later. Jimmy then goes by his ex-wife's house, who is pissed because not only did he forget to pick up his daughter again or forgot the date of her event, so to speak, uh, but his sister got pulled over with their daughter in the car for speeding because uh, Melly is a little bit of a uh, car fanatic and a speed demon. <laughs> She's the driver. Yes. She's the driver. <laughs> I also, was Katie so Holmes. sure. Katie Holmes. Ka- Katie Holmes. <laughs> it took me embarrassingly long to this movie to be like, oh my God, that's Katie Holmes. <laughs> Katie Holmes just looking at so trashy and in the absolute <laughs> worst spray tan you've ever seen. Just the worst. But it's perfect for the character of the, uh, I imagine, like, homecoming queen type. We'll learn later on that she was his high school sweetheart uh, before they got divorced. Um, mm. I didn't put that together. I was so tuned out during the nurse, <laughs> during the nurse segment that I was just like, what? I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, that was we got a little bit of high school backstory uh, later on in the movie, but yeah, she's she's sort of this uh, peaked in high school beauty queen. Um, but before they can get too into their argument about the sister's speeding habits, the driver, as it were, uh, he talks about the for sale sign he noticed outside. It turns out that they're trying to move to Tennessee uh, for her husband's car lot business. He's an auto salesman. A very good auto salesman very whose good one. family owns a series of Ford dealerships. Yeah. That house is ostentatious. Mm-hmm. They are well off. <laughs> I thought it was really I thought that was really important, especially to set up everything yeah. there, because it's like, why is the heist happening? Mm-hmm. Because it's not even like no one has money. It's that Jimmy wants to have money himself so he can stop right. fucking dealing with it. It was also kind of funny. Moody, the guy, the her current husband who's super uh, wealthy and a big mm-hmm. fucking idiot, uh, is like he's fine. I think in a way when you know that like your your current wife's ex is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, who cares about this guy? Whatever. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of funny, the way that they played that. But I, mm-hmm. I could see why it was so important for Jimmy to ha- get some money um, right. to, to come because of the situation that he fight because of 
the like his daughter is in such a shitty situation. Mm, I shouldn't say that necessarily. His daughter and it, his wife <laughs> is set up to be not nice, and Jimmy yeah. wants to get her out using his own money, which I thought was really interesting. Right. I like that they didn't because it's very easy for the like stepdad or stepmom in these movies to often kind of just become a default villain, and Moody is very much just sort of like a goober, you know, like he's yeah. he's not necessarily antagonistic in any way. Like he's a little bit braggadocious maybe but he seems to care about his kids and daughter even if he is going to take them a furious and fast movie <laughs> to see in this scene uh despite the fact that it might scare the kids like he's not hateable he's not in the way dad. that you he's often a regular expect dad. He's yeah just a dad. exactly yeah he's just a dad <laughs> he's just, he's a, just dad a dad who, who happens cars. to be in a family <laughs> in a family ford dealership yeah <laughs> Um, but his, his daughter Sadie runs up to Jimmy and gives her a big old hug when him a big old hug when she he shows up and he's like oh I'll take you out for ice cream but her mom uh, doesn't want her having any since she's in that pageant diet which oof we love that tax toxic uh, toddlers and tiaras culture popping up <laughs> in the middle of this movie um, yeah. yeah 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 tough Sadie yeah oof rough Sadie also drops that she's decided that she knows what she's going to sing at the pageant. Uh, it's going to be Rihanna's Umbrella, which one of her younger stepbrothers informs the room is actually about sex and not umbrellas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're true. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. Moody and the kids all exit. Uh, this is when Jimmy kind of storms off about them moving to a different state and goes to the bar Duct Tape, which is a bar name that I absolutely adore. Perfect. <laughs> And talks to the bartender, Adam Driver. <laughs> Woo! Adam Driver. Playing the Adam his, Driver of it his all. His absolute moodiest and least He's, emotive. Adam Driver has popped up a couple times on this podcast uh, in these kind of like character actory roles that he's yeah. been doing recently. Uh, in the same way that Daniel Craig in this movie and in Glass Onion and Knives Out is sort of playing a character actor and playing playing a character as a reaction to being James Bond for so long. It feels like Adam Driver is doing the same thing the last couple of years with the reaction to all the Star Wars uh, sequel trilogy oh, sure. roles. Um, so every time he shows up, I'm like, when's he going to yell? I know that I know the Adam Driver performance at some point he's going to be really quiet. And then he's going to be yelling, and it's, this guy's got a fake arm. It's got to be soon. <laughs> oh, God. He's so good. He's, it's like, yeah, you're right. Adam Driver is one of our generation's best actors. Yeah. You're 100% right, Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> Let's just give him a ca character actor part, please. Let him, let him really sit in it. It was also giving me, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Moonstruck, uh, in which Nicolas Cage has a wooden yeah. hand, but there was... A lot of similar performance choices going on with Adam Driver, whose character uh, is a uh, veteran and has lost his arm in combat, as we'll learn in this movie. Uh, Sorry, they make it's liberal so use Sophia of this very important. He didn't lose his arm. He's a radial amputee. He true, lost his true. lower arm and hand. <laughs> very accurate, actually. We will be corrected shortly. But he's playing Clyde, who is Jimmy's brother, and Clyde is just talking to him all about the various bad happenings that have occurred on their family as there is something of a unlucky Logan curse. The Logan curse. <laughs> the first time I, because when I was watching this, I was like, oh, is this just, this is the kind of gossip you get at the bar of like local happenings and whatnot. And then only later did I kind of put together like, oh no, it's their family specifically. The title of this movie, Logan Lucky, is starting to make a little bit more sense uh, when you put all that together. A classic flourish of script writing was Adam Driver listing off all of the curses that has happened to their family. <laughs> yes. God, incredible. Absolutely incredible. 
Just really hamming it up. Jimmy points out the only one who seems to have nothing bad happened to them is Melly, and Clyde's like, don't jinx it. (laughs) Jimmy heads to his quote-unquote satellite office uh, and just uh, kind of exits the scene, (laughs) leaving Clyde behind the bar as this British, loud, uh, braggadocious man walks in with his buddies complaining and being a jerk. Uh, And he kind of pokes fun at Clyde for being a one-armed bartender, and there's a very long, nearly silent sequence of Clyde making his drink. Two really important things here. One, Seth MacFarlane, everybody, yes. the voices of everyone <laughs> on Family Guy, playing just his worst British accent and looking absolutely Awful. terrible in his wig and his mustache. His mustache was like intentionally bad. I thought that was really funny. Um, <laughs> I kept IMDb up for the majority of this movie because so much was going on in it, and I know actors kept popping up. Mm-hmm. The The two guys with him... Um, their names on IMDb was <laughs> Max's Nontourage. <laughs> I love that. Which was very funny. Oh, I love when a, a side actor gets a fun name for their, you know, unnamed character. Um, Max's Nontourage 1 and Max's Nontourage 2. Oof, beautiful. Shout out to Tom Archdeacon and Alex Ross. <laughs> Tom Archdeacon. What a crazy last name. Crazy last name. <laughs> Maybe we'll see him in more stuff in the future. Maybe he'll graduate from beyond this uh tourage role. Nontourage number two didn't even make first book billing of the non-tourage. I know. God. Britt is satisfied with his drink and uh, tries to get Clyde to make another one so that he can film it and post it on his story and whatnot. When Jimmy re-enters the scene, uh, tells the Brit to lead Cly- leave Clyde alone, then the Brit makes a bunch of jokes about Clyde and Jimmy adding up to one whole person between their... Uh, missing arm and or missing elbow to hand and uh, injured leg (laughs) and Jimmy then recognizing the guy from TV asks for a picture using this as a way to get closer before starting up a good old fashioned bar fight Uh, now actually wait something really interesting happened here was that Mm -hmm. he didn't know him from TV necessarily he um, this guy's name incredible name which we don't find out for a very long time Hmm. his name is Max (laughs) Chilblaine So funny. Um, he says he has 1.2 million Instagram followers, and that's why he's doing the. Sh- he's trying to get them on his stories. So I don't think that necessarily Jimmy knew who he was. He just knew that he thinks he's a celebrity, which is why he started the bar the bar fight. Which then, of course, I realized was only giving time for Clyde to go out and throw a brick and then a fu- and yes. then a fucking Molotov cocktail <laughs> into the guy's car. With all of the calm panache that only really Adam Driver could bring to such a moment. Um, yeah, for sure. And after the car goes up in flames and the Brits all... Uh, he, he, I love that Jimmy walks out after all the, the Brits and the entourage come out and uh, start to like be like, my car! He throws their cell phones into the flaming car. <laughs> Uh, and as he does Jimmy walks off saying cauliflower to Clyde (gasps) cauliflower what could that mean (laughs) there are no vegetables in this scene (laughs) and then Adam Driver says cauliflower (laughs) if you wait once again the only way that Adam Driver can Um, Clyde wakes up the next morning to Jimmy making breakfast in their uh, home and sees the list of top 10 rules for robbing a bank hung on the fridge. And I, of course, audience, of course, I wrote down what the 10 rules are. Let's just let's just sound off on what may or may not be something of a structure for the heist of this film going forward. 
<laughs> number one, decide to rob a bank. True. Okay. Fair. Number two, got to have a plan. It's critical to any part of the success. Which he does. If he this does. is what I thought was great, was that <laughs> stuff happened before the movie began. Yeah. Which I thought was really important. And because he, uh, Jimmy, comes out with a diorama <laughs> of what they're going to <laughs> rob, little, which was like, beautiful. cardboard mock-up. I loved it. <laughs> this is making it... I have my biggest problem with the movie Magic Mike is that I think um, they only made one design for the furniture that the mic in question is selling and i think that that's a huge flaw for the movie and the character and in this movie they completely redeemed channing tatum's prop work because he got this little diorama (laughs) my favorite thing about the diorama is it opens there's there's things inside of it it's got layers yeah uh but the rule number three on heisting is have a backup plan so when the first plan goes wrong gotta have a backup number four establish clear communications they do, yeah, I think they do that, for sure. Yeah, they do, okay. Uh, five, choose your partners carefully. They mostly do that. Yeah. <laughs> Six, expect the unexpected. Okay, great. Got You need to on a heist, for sure. Absolutely. Be flexible. Seven, <laughs> seven shit happens. Similar to expect the unexpected, mm. um, but all good. Eight is don't get greedy. Good advice for a very heist. Very important, very important. Nine, remember, shit happens, so we're just kind of rehashing seven here, but all good. An important reminder. <laughs> gotta know it, gotta know, yeah. And uh, ten, hang up and know when to walk away, which is an interesting little thing to have at the end there. Hmm. 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 <laughs> it does, it's, I love this list because I've seen a, a few movies in my day. I like to think I have an okay grasp of like how screenwriting and plot structure usually goes. This was sure. like... Would you like to know the way the rest of this movie is going to play out? Have a list. And for the most part, they, they kind of follow it. Um, I mean, that's what made this whole thing so stylish, I think, was yeah. that Steven Soderbergh isn't lying. He's saying, this is exactly what I'm doing. Don't I? I'm Steven. You trust me, right? I made the Oceans <laughs> movies. Just come along with me. I'm even going to give you directions. Like signpost, uh, signpost a thousand percent, you know, mm-hmm. and you're still going to be enjoying it because everything looks great. And there are so many good actors in the movie. Yeah, it's it's kind of a simple meal well made in some ways. Like he's just taking yes. all of his cumulative knowledge of how to make a heist movie and making a different setting for another great heist movie in kind of the same way that some of the earlier oceans uh, were doing. Over breakfast, they discussed the word cauliflower, a code word for Jimmy's criminal intent, which Clyde had previously gone to juvie after hearing, so he's a little hesitant about what his brother might be cooking up. Uh, But because breakfast was so nice, he'll hear him out. Uh, What's the event they'd like to rob? Or what's the location? The Charlotte Motor Freeway. It's a massive hub for NASCAR, and it's so big. It's like more more of a city than a stadium. So many people pass through it. So much business is done. Um, and right now the speedway is having a problem with sinkholes, which is what Jimmy was working on before, uh, he was let go from his previous job. Um, (laughs) (laughs) do you have a lot of thoughts on sinkholes, Ziggy? (laughs) That cat really got in your face. That's wild. Yeah. She's got no fear. Right now, the Speedway is having problems with sinkholes, which is what Jimmy was working on before he was let go. Uh, And he shows off his little cardboard model about how all the different Mm -hmm. uh, construction sites line up and connect to the vault, uh, which is what they're aiming to rob. 
How does this is kind of the some of the stuff that really got in my head and I was feeling, which is why I wanted some fat because mm-hmm. it's like the whole point of a heist movie is that everyone's hyper competent, right? And right. I, especially now, especially in Logan Lucky, where everyone's like low frequency hyper competent, it really made my head hurt about how many details because like we get two really important details: is one the sinkholes, but two. Um, there's a water problem in the area yes. that you can't, you really should not be drinking the water, uh, because some, something got in the, in the river and that's incredibly important to various parts of the movie. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God, so much is going on here. Yeah. Almost, I completely missed that water fast. part the first time watching through it. I was like, oh, it, it didn't come up till later on. Daniel Craig will drink some water. Um, that's only the point when I put that, you've got to not hit the microphone with your head. Right. <laughs> It came up the first time in the bar. That's why they only used one. Well, that's why he only used one ice cube, hmm. which right. I thought was really interesting. And then again, it came up with the with the nurse in uh, in the penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Jimmy also explains how they move the money around the track. Uh, we cut tubes. to a bunch tubes, tubes. Oh, I love them. We cut to a bunch of workers digging uh, a man out while another asks for the code to the doors, which is. Uh, Christmas 1225. That's going to be Christmas. important for later. Oh my God, it's Christmas. So mwah, beautiful, stylish. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Good writing. Good. Uh, and this man, uh, this is one of the boys who are like, oh, they're telling us something important because he really just yelled out in the background like, what's the code? What's the code? It's Christmas. <laughs> uh, as this is all happening, Jimmy is admiring the pneumatic tube transports, which is how they move money to the main vault. It's like a cash highway through the whole stadium. And when should this all go down? When should they use these tubes to steal some cash inside of this construction? June 4th, because that's the Grocery Castle Auto Show. Uh, And it's also a graduation day, so a lot of staff will be MIA uh, because they'll be at their kids' graduations and whatnot. I love how Jimmy's first thought was like, no, we're going to hit it at the lowest point. We're going to do bare bone stuff. I don't care. I'll grab as much of it as I can. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> Clyde seems a little bit more incredulous about the whole thing since this is like a real vaulty kind of vault. But he's like, there's, you know, there's only one guy who could know anything about blowing up a real bank vault like this. It's Joe Bang. <laughs> a- appropriately last named Joe Bang. <laughs> Can we talk about um, Daniel Craig's accent here for a second? Yeah. We have the, to. <laughs> he, the entire time I was like, who are you doing an impression of? Because <laughs> it's like he was just doing some this like kind of nervy, twitchy American accent. It mm-hmm. wasn't even necessarily Southern. And the guy is West Virginia born and bred because he has the, again, he has the tattoo on his neck. Um, right. So I was like, it wasn't. It wasn't – it's wild that this accent was less bad than <laughs> Benoit Blanc. Let's just say that. Yeah, I'm shocked they didn't – like, it, it feels like someone had to have reined him in because I can't imagine a world where Daniel Craig is approaching this movie told he's playing, like, born and bred West Virginia boy and doesn't attempt to do a crazier accent uh, or, like, a more intense version of the kind of, like, West Virginia twang. Um but it also does feel like maybe he got his, his feet a little wet here and then went, ooh, I could maybe <laughs> really bring some verb to this Benoit Blanc, Blanc guy <laughs> coming True, up. truly. I it's He really just like starts stretching his legs a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy for him. I mean, I think that this was in the middle of his of James Bond stuff. Yeah. So it's like he, he couldn't go full 
whatever. He couldn't go full character actor, which I'm so happy that he is because he's really so good at this stuff. Yeah. Um, God, what a what an interesting character, Joe Bang, with his short, <laughs> his, all of his tattoos. His tattoos. His really bleach short blonde. bleach on hair. It only makes his eyes look more piercing, mm-hmm. which I think is incredible. Well, you've got um, Daniel Craig. you got to show off those, those piercing baby blues. <laughs> It, it was, like, disturbing. It's like they turned it all the way up to 11, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Um, a point I want to make is that I was really worried he was going to be a white supremacist uh, yes. because of his how bleached, how bleach blonde he was, his tattoos, and also his brothers were really fucking dumb, hick, idiot country boys. But I think they kind of made a point of it for him not to be because later on the whole point is that, like, they smuggle. We're gonna. The whole point is that they have to get a smuggled Joe Bang out of prison, and right. there's a whole thing with like the nurse in the infirmary in the prison was black, and he was really sweet to her. I don't know if in it like a a lesser scriptwriter would have made it would have made a, a snide comments about that. Yeah. But I thought it was kind of important that like Joe Bang is just a guy who loves blowing shit up. Yes. He's not a bad man. <laughs> he was born with the last name Bang and. Gosh dang it, he's gonna. Um. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, I'm kind of glad that there's like, he's just a guy. He's a weirdo. Yeah. And, but like everyone hits on Millie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't any, just like what's, uh, just like Moody. None of these people were bad people. They're just guys. Yeah. I think that it goes a long way to making them, because they are committing a crime. It goes right. a long way towards making sure that the whole main high screw is pretty endeared to the audience. We're always rooting for them. In the heist movies, there's always sort of the suspension of, well, they're stealing something, so let's... But we're still rooting for them anyway. They're still, quote-unquote, right. the good guys. But I feel like having these characters not be be kind of the moody and the Joe Bang direction of just like a good dude who happens to maybe be a little dumb or yeah. is really dedicated to explosive technology um goes a long <laughs> yes, way he is. yes he is <laughs> goes a long way towards like kind of allowing for that suspension of disbelief of like no 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 we can we can root for these guys without feeling bad about it as all as audience members yeah of course what you have to do in a heist movie and yeah. a, a heist movie is always about taking money from power and mm-hmm. either taking it for yourselves or bringing it somewhere else um which i think gets co-opted a little bit in where we are in 2023 like anti-capitalism being s- sold back to you as capitalism. Right. For example, the D&D movie is all is vaguely a heist. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not. This is stupid. <laughs> so it's like, uh, it feels like it's being co-opted by uh, think someone who wants to water it down. But I think that mm-hmm. um, the scriptwriter Rebecca Blunt, and Steven Soderberg did a very uh, astute job at making, like, people are grabbing what they deserve because they've been uh, dealt a bad hand. Um, right. And I'm glad that Joe Bang wasn't prejudiced or racist as well yes. on top of it. Because, like, the only mean people, the bad people, are um, Katie Holmes, who's not nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Seth MacFarlane, who is a giant <laughs> asshole and is yes. the entire time. And then, like, the guy who owns the Charlotte Motor Speedway. <laughs> yeah, who we see so, so briefly. Like, he's... So much a non-entity in this movie until the very, very end. Yeah, um, and he's just like a smarmy businessman. He's not. Yeah. He's not anything. So I kind of like it. It's, I wouldn't say it's a victimless crime, but I think that like we're we're just kind of working with power structures, and no exactly. no one on the heist crew is a bad person. Yeah, uh, but we go to see uh, Joe in prison, where the boys have come to visit. <laughs> he seems annoyed at his current predicament. Asks the boys for quarters so he can get eggs from the vending machine, and he has to use so. Sodium-free salt. It's fake salt. Again, going to be important Very later. Very important. 
very cool hand Luke of him to be eating eggs in prison. Uh, they try to pitch their job, but Joe is reluctant because A, he's locked up, and besides, he's got this whole hidden nest egg waiting for him of money he buried outside a tree at his house when the boys had to break the bad news that Joe's wife found out about this stash, dug it up, and moved to Florida. Where in Florida? Like, way down in Florida. Clear water, yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought it was important. I don't mean to be correcting you because I think we both <laughs> saw it at the same time and you're running a podcast and I'm not. I think the important part was that this was Fish's girlfriend who mm. then stole all the money because we gotcha. eventually learned that Fish Bang and the other brother need to be involved in the heist. So again, it violates one of the rules, which is... Make sure you, Make sure you, you trust. trust who's in. So it's like, oh my god, that, yeah. Jack Qua- Jack Quaid being the exact opposite <laughs> of what he's always cast. He's always cast as Huey from The Boys, the most regular man ever, and he gets to be the fucking most southern fried idiot ever. And I Living fucking it loved it. <laughs> Uh, But Joe is now on board with the idea of stealing a bunch of money from the vault, but he still has the same problem of being locked up in prison. Luckily, our boys have a plan to break him out in broad daylight and then put him back in before anyone notices because Joe's only got like five months left on his sentence and he's like, oh, I just want to get out in good behavior and then be able to live on a clean slate. So like they can't know I've broken out of prison. They discuss the split. Uh, of the cash and this is when joe expresses that he wants his two brothers also involved oh boy these yep. idiots a uh, fish bang what a funny thing fish did you bang. think bang wait you said earlier you thought bang was their last name do you is actually think that it's what it is in all the credits <laughs> it is in the credits but i guess like in my head it's like you're nicknamed joe bang because you're good at blowing shit up and then your brother's name is fish i know that them like, as they the bang ex- brothers a bunch in the movies so i thought it was just like <laughs> oh a okay that's fine i thought it was like an inherited nickname maybe like like <laughs> how um i'm i I don't know. Maybe they didn't world build their actual last name, but now, or maybe maybe it is their last name. I just didn't even think of it. I thought it was really funny, though. Yeah. I thought it was good. For a long time, these two go- guys go pretty unnamed as well, so they are just the Bang Brothers in my, in my notes I don't know a lot of the what, time. What is the other guy's last name? It's Fish and Sam. Sam. So okay. Yeah, it's two pretty normal names, and then also one of them's named Fish. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Uh, we see Sadie and the sister, uh, Melly are unloading her car when Moody tries to sell her up on a newer, fancier car, but she's pretty dedicated to her old Chevy. Uh, and she kind of like pokes fun at him for all of his fancy sport cars, but never driving a stick shift and whatnot. She then sort of like also my cousin Vinny's him a little bit with some fancy yes. quick talk about auto cars, because if there's one thing we know about Melly, she knows her vehicles i was so sure she was gonna drive on that nascar track at some point and unfortunately she does not that would have been a little bit too crazy i would have said (laughs) it would not would not have made sense within this movie but i was so certain it was gonna happen (laughs) here's another thing that i really liked was like Mm -hmm. katie holmes says that she has her melly magic and she flirts because she's dresses uh that show skin i wouldn't even say provocatively it's yeah. kind of in the way that i think like ever mo- a lot of women now wear crop tops for them and i'm like yeah sure great like mm-hmm. you're not it's it's the wrong it's the misunderstanding that you think that women are i'm i know i'm saying this to you so please <laughs> 
just, just it's ridiculous. But like you know, Katie Holmes thinks that women dress provocatively for men, but it seems like Melly just dresses for herself. And yeah. I like that it was a mind game that Melly was doing. And she wasn't <laughs> flirting with him. She explicitly is not flirting with Moody. She mm-hmm. just emasculated him, and then he got the V8 <laughs> engine with the stick, which was really yes. important. And I thought that was interesting instead of she, uh, she's a sex pot, which it was really, really good. It would have been right. really easy to just make her like a honeypot character. And instead making her this sort of like honeypot getaway driver hybrid really right. makes her much more interesting in the grand scheme of this movie. Yeah. They're at the county fair, though, where the family is having their fun. Uh, and then Clyde and Jimmy approach the Bang Brothers, who are currently in the midst of bobbing for something, I could not make out they were what they were trying to get out of. Oh, tanks. they were pickled pig's feet. They were pig's feet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. They sort of run down their special skills. One of them, the brother in the denim vest, knows computers because he went to technical college, and the other one does not say anything. So we're gonna have these guys hanging around for the heist for sure. They're a little doubtful that they can help as they're currently living with the Lord and they need a moral reason to go on this heist. So Clyde tells a story about how they'll be stealing from the Grocery Castle auto show. And the Grocery Castle is one of the stores where when Melly was working there, one of the managers got a little handsy. And that's enough morality for the Bang Brothers. They're on board with the heist uh, as it is now a quest of vengeance of sorts. (laughs) Ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Mm Mm-hmm. The Bang Brothers go see Joe in prison, where he sends them to go see the bear in the woods to collect a bag, which is full of his Oh, my God. Materials. What was going on with this? <laughs> this It's this man dressed in, like, somewhere between a ghillie suit and just sort of lots of neutral colors, and he walks over to them, hands no, them a double bag. No, he was wearing a bear shot. suit. He was, <laughs> was wearing a bear, bear suit. <laughs> yeah. He had little better. ears and everything. He's it did kind of look like a ghillie suit. I'm, I'm with you on that. It was like, there's a lot of hunting uh, iconography in this. Mm-hmm. because it's, it's West Virginia. It's... Yeah. But yeah. I'm like, I so like, I totally get ghillie suit. But no, he was wearing a bear suit. Bear but suit. then he faded away? <laughs> that was, it was a very mystical moment in an otherwise pretty grounded film. Yeah. It was so funny. He's just a really reliable place to store all of your um, extra demolitions materials and whatnot with. Clyde then goes to the outside of a gas station, whispering cauliflower to himself before driving his car through the window, walking over and casually buying a bag of chips and getting sentenced to 90 days in prison. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, again, Adam Driver, like neutral performance panache. <laughs> um, some of this stuff, I think, also had to do with them understanding where they lived. Mm-hmm. I thought when the judge rattled off everything about Adam Driver's character's like backstory, right? He's like, "Oh, you're a veteran, and you went to juvie, but that was a long time ago. But why did you do this? You said it was an accident. <laughs> no, it wasn't. This is ridiculous." Then he got ninety days, which was the perfect amount of time to go into prison, right? Right. So I was like, everyone knows stuff, and it also gave them enough relia um, deniability when it came up at the end of the movie. Uh, everyone's like, no, that's regular. That's exactly the amount of time someone would be put in jail if Adam, if Clyde <laughs> Logan busted through a gas station. Right. Like, and also, there's only one prison. There's only one prison around here, so everyone goes there. That's just what happens. Mm-hmm. It's it shows the characters like they have an intelligence about their particular lived experience in a way that an outer towner might not be able to pull off. So it, it's so important right. that these characters are from the area that they are also pulling off this heist in. Otherwise, 
nothing would work. They wouldn't have any of the knowledge that they need to actually put a plan or a backup plan, as we know from the list, together. <laughs> right. Those are the details that made my brain hurt, but I'm sure mm-hmm. is just lived experience if you live in Boone County. Mm-hmm. Joe and Clyde in prison do some word wo- woodworking per the specs of Melly, who sure knows her trucks. We'll see what their project comes to later. <laughs> Jimmy is giving his daughter a spray tan for the pageant. He's still involved in that. And, you know, it's important to remember that the pageant is a thing that's going to happen and that he's involved in it. But it's kind of these cutaway scenes. Uh, They then stop by Melly's at the salon to get her extensions put in so she can win the glitz category. I wish it was just fat. It was I when I had to when we realized that this was important, that this still happened. Then I'm like, fuck, I can't believe I need to believe in this as well. (laughs) It's like there's too much. There's almost too much going on. I hate that, like, it's bothering me. But hearing it back, I'm like, Jesus Christ, we have so much more movie to recap here. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And it's even when they're entering. This is all sort of like a montage sequence. Even when they're in a montage-esque sequence, pretty much everything is important and happening and moving a little bit too slow to really be like the pace that you would expect time to pass at in that sort of uh editing technique i think the thing to say is like i was engaged the entire time Mm -hmm. i think i looked at my phone maybe once because i love these movies and it was (laughs) so tight but it was also two hours flat this wasn't even like it was 90 minutes of straight meat it was two hours of straight meat. And of course and it's not even and the heist was 80 percent of the movie (laughs) Like, it's like there was 5% of exposition in the beginning, mm-hmm. 80% of movie, and then, fi- <laughs> and then another 15% of aftermath. Right. And I was just like, there's so much going on. There was so um, much more aftermath than I expected there to be, which, you know, we'll get to in a little bit. But You mean when we introduce a whole new character oh doing a, a wild <laughs> fucking voice choice? That's the part, I think, where I felt the most like they probably could have trimmed up some stuff. I Because uh, I went back and forth on this beginning part where we're kind of getting the setup for the heist. I'm like, okay, but there's a lot of important information that's getting communicated here pretty quickly. Right. It's a long movie, but that's fine. The heist itself is kind of what we're here to see. So I understand not wanting to cut that down. But that last uh, post-heist bit is the only part where I started to sort of kind of lose the plot a little bit. I thought it was important, though, to, to demonstrate that it was airtight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're like... And a lot of things that Jimmy had done before everyone else happened that that Jimmy had done even before the movie started, which I thought was really important. Um, and also that it, it only made sense to people who lived there what was going on. Because, mm-hmm. like, I think the thing that they the unwritten rule of Eleven, I'm, I'm now examining, like, we're looking <laughs> at the rules of horror movies and screen. Right. The rule of number 11 is not just uh, is not just. The heist isn't over until people stop looking. That's the last rule of heist movies. And that was the whole point, I think, of the last 15 minutes. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think, like, the last 15 minutes are pretty critical to kind of the payoff of the heist as a whole, which is the whole movie. Jimmy is outside having a snack when he runs into a, a woman with a bob who talks about his injuries a bit and goes and gives him a tetanus shot this is where we Jeez. get to sort of high school yeah, backstory <laughs> we can just breeze past forward. that uh her name's sylvia she gets funding for her hospital mobile clinic from people who donate and she's really pretty so jimmy likes her that's really the only important part i here. thought there was going to be another scene with her i can't believe yeah, it was right? just one yeah no just the one 
Later that night, Melly asked Jimmy about what his backup plans are and when inevitably shit happens, because remember, the list. Uh, but he doesn't have any answers for her, so she goes back to doing something with some cockroaches. Who knows? Who <laughs> well, knows? I'm still not exactly sure <laughs> what happened with the cockroaches. Yeah. The gang is then in sort of a montage. They're shopping, gathering supplies, etc. Jimmy goes back to his old work site to quote-unquote clean out his locker, but actually steals some of the floor plans for the different mine shafts and whatnot underneath the stadium. Uh, and as he runs into his old supervisor, making some small talk, he casually mentions that they are wrapping up the site early. Apparently, they're ahead of schedule, which means they got to move all of the heist plans up a week. Back at the track, Melly and Jimmy discuss the new timeline, which puts them doing the heist at the Coca-Cola 300, which is the biggest event oh, of the year. the Coca-Cola 600, so my 600. friend. <laughs> that is 400 laps doing 600 miles. <laughs> my bad. I'm not a, I will say it now, I'm not a NASCAR professional. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just thought I was wondering, honestly, it ended up working out better for them because mm-hmm. more stuff happens. Like, I don't know how they were going to pull this off in it was was it a car show the grocery the grocery store yeah it was a it was a car show not a race so like i don't know how they would have pulled it off i know less people were working but no one's engaged during a car show Mm -hmm. i feel like it had to have like it had to be the coca-cola 600 you know it had to be a big race like this because people aren't gonna be buying the same amount of snacks as we'll see later on it's gonna be a huge part of it there's there's not gonna be as much money coming in for one thing and i think their whole logic was well there'll be less people around this uh car show so we'll be able to get in and out easier but even so it always had to be the big event shit would still hit the fans someone would wander down there and then Mm -hmm. there would be no excuse about what they're doing yeah i think that's why it needed to be during the like the whole point of a heist is that while something else is going on, you're doing something in the background. We know this from Oceans, from all the Oceans movies. <laughs> it's the Met in Oceans 8. It's the big fight in Oceans 11, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I don't understand why they would even want to do such a small thing. Because yeah. I don't know if it's like, um, we're saying this with 2020 uh, hindsight, right? Is that like, oh, of course, everything went well because the even in this thing, but... I don't even understand how they would have gotten the cover uh, to get this done while because it's still like there was smoke everywhere, lots of noises. There was security (laughs) around all the time. Like they still ran into a lot of trouble that they only got cover for because it was a massive NASCAR race. Right. It, It really only could have worked out this way. But because a lot of the workers are going to be back in the office since it's not the graduation date, it's this big event, Melly has to call the baker. And this is where we meet uh, Glima, the aforementioned woman with a fun Glima. name. Worker at the track uh, down in this vault. She gets a cake delivered and shares it with her co-workers directly in front of the vault so that we know exactly where they are and why they're important. <laughs> uh, and while they <laughs> Nothing funnier. How did they know that these people eat cake in the vault? Right? Like, that's their break room? How? Who knew do, this? I guess do they have... Like, do they have to is it like a security thing i don't understand i assumed it was a security thing or like yeah. either that or like it was just like a fun thing that happens when you work in a secure <laughs> we already had building. the vault set we might as well just stick them all in front of there this part i don't understand okay so then she so they eat the cake they leave the cake in the vault mm-hmm. somehow they get the colored cockroaches in there and then everyone freaks out and that allows the bang brothers to go in and case the joint i guess so i they bring the cake in right i, I guess i'm only Lima... asking because this was the part i couldn't figure out yeah so they bring the cake in glima uh has to go do some paperwork with some cops because someone like 
hit her car and dented it. Yeah. I didn't really understand what that part was for, but the Bang Boys put that, a... This is what I'm saying, is like, yeah. this, they hit the car so that they could distract her from doing something? I don't know why they need to distract Lima, but what the Bang Boys do is they use one of those pneumatic tubes to put the cockroaches in, and then they send it into the vault. And so when oh. people come back, it, they're all over the cake, and then they have to, like, they go in and, like, fumigate the vault, basically. Which right, and that's how they got... There. That's how the Bang Brothers case the joint right yeah okay I, I think they don't it's kind of breezed past i have to assume that's what it is we did not need glima we did not need we the baker need we didn't need glima this was a little bit too much <laughs> yeah that was that she's the most cuttable character behind maybe sylvia <laughs> sylvia and glima gotta yeah. go when they get money at the end i was so pissed <laughs> I felt pretty good for. I was like, well, Gleema can have a couple bucks, I guess. I thought they should have just given her another cake, frankly. <laughs> yeah, they were nice. This demonstrates that Jimmy Logan's a nice person. Yeah. But geez, but like, I'm like, just give me the money. I want the money. Don't give it to Gleema. <laughs> uh, uh, while this is happening, Joe is at prison and he has a proposition for another inmate. Uh, Dame, I think his name was. And we'll see more on that in a little bit. The Bang bro- Bros call Jimmy after they go do their fumigation. They've got a code pink, and now we get the title of Race Day moving on through the plot. I want to say, we're taking a break because this this <laughs> podcast is as long as the movie, and I got to go, and I will be back. But, man, you saying Bang Bros so much is really funny. <laughs> it's funny, right? That's it's very the funny. only name I had for the first, like, three quarters of this movie. <laughs> What are we gonna, we're gonna say? Fish and Sam? No. I only caught fish. I didn't know the other guy. <laughs> I didn't even know the name. It was almost funny. I just want to say one last thing about the sure. Bang Bros. Like, fish is really not that. Oh, did you notice that fish had a um, tattoo that's a dangerous but with no O? <laughs> I did not. That's so. Good. It's really prominent in the scene at the fair um, uh-huh. where they taught where they talked that you can see it in the reverse shot. When they're like on the side, like you can, their backs are towards the camera, and the Logans are looking at them. Um, you can see the shot a lot. So I, I, it's on his shoulder. I invite you to do it. I want to talk about how fucking colorful everything is. God, yeah. thank you, Steven Soderbergh, for using color. It the looks fair so good. Was just all is all primary colors of balloons. Everything is brilliant, brilliant mm-hmm. colors at the race day. Even when they're down in the tunnels and it's it would be very easy for them to have gone just like that kind of washed out dark gray. It's it's dim lighting, but everything is so saturated that you still really see all the like dirt and different yes. grays of the pipes and everything is still very clear and colorful. Yeah, the car, the the neon blue car that Nelly yeah. drives that she, or that Melly drives that she got from Moody. <laughs> um the Joe Bang's hair, everyone's always wearing red, which I yes. loved. Which I which is it pops really really nicely. Mm-hmm. I had to look up if this was the one that Steven Soderbergh shot on an iPhone. It was not, but <laughs> okay. I thought it was. It just his use. It would have been wildly really impressive nice. if it was. I was like, Jesus, this is this is good shit. This is, this really is good the shit. best iPhone commercial they would have made. Yeah, we had to come back. The heist was planned, and now we're back, and now we're doing the actual heist. <laughs> and we're just in time for race day, the one title of the movie to pop up on screen. Um, it's it's time to get into it, see the plan, have the plan go wrong, execute plan B, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm. All the prisoners get their day started. Joe heads down to the wood shop and drinks from the sink, which if you had missed the little note about the water earlier, it's coming back around now. Very important. The water, very important. This is also a really good point to say. Once again, 
everything looks incredible in this yes. movie. <laughs> the the race, everything is even more brilliant. The only thing that's more brilliant than a carnival is, of course, NASCAR. So many blues, so many reds, so many yellows. It's incredible. And also, the, the prison looks great. We didn't yeah. even talk about the jumpsuits. It's a very sort of like 1940s, 1950s prison outfit with the big blocks, the big mm-hmm. black and white stripes. I really, really like them. And I thought it was interesting. They went with that instead of a more traditional, quote unquote, traditional orange, uh, orange yeah. jumpsuit. I thought that was a really interesting choice. Yeah, and it helps keep the kind of like primary color palette that they've been really leaning into consistent throughout this whole every sequence in the film because you get it a lot in race day because all of the cars are red, blue, and yellow, and all of the different snack stands and everything, and all the mm-hmm. people streaming in. We see a lot of B-roll of people streaming into the stadium throughout this sequence. It's nice, it's bright, it's fun to look at, and it it's really cohesive. <laughs> yeah, especially because this was really in the middle of like. Because this came out in 2017, really in the middle of CGI muddling, both in movies and in video games, for that matter. Like, Mm -hmm. AAA, everything was brown. Just, it's nice to see colors. And I'm sure that Steven Soderbergh did that intentionally, filming on location (laughs) at an actual raceway. I'm sure that Mm -hmm. was important to him. Yeah, and it 100% pays off here. Because even just the brief flashes of people streaming into the stadium and enjoying race day are fun to look at uh even if they're not super important um jimmy goes to rouse the bang brothers fish and sam as they are sleeping in and a little bit behind on watching the watching the race clock which this whole scheme hinges on everyone being in sync with the clock of the race uh which i thought was a cool little time piece for them to use in prison uh the warden is walking around talking about how they don't have a food problem at monroe when joe promptly pukes and is taken to the infirmary great (laughs) (laughs) uh at the pageant melly heads out assuring uh the daughter that she'll be back in time to help with the pageant so just a reminder pageant's happening today um Joe, meanwhile, in the infirmary, asks to go to the bathroom. Oh, sorry. Before we oh, yeah. move on, I'm so sorry. I was looking this up. Uh, the warden, Dwight Yoakam, country star. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Incredible. He's also a really good actor. He showed mm-hmm. up in a lot of ra- in a lot of random stuff. He was in Sling Blade. He was in Wedding Crashers. He was in the Crank <laughs> movies. Um, so the crank he's, movies. he's a very good actor. But Dwight Yoakam is very much like a folk figure and i think he fit Mm -hmm. in really well as like this archetype of warden of warden one and also like government person who does not want anyone to think that he ever Mm -hmm. makes any mistakes yeah he's more concerned with the prison seeming to never have uh riots or any sort of issues than he is actually solving those issues necessarily Um, I mean, it's essential to the story, the fact that this guy has pride. And that's another thing. I mean, we talked about this days ago when we started this (laughs) podcast. But, like, the Logans know what everyone's going to do before they do them. Not in, like, a Danny Ocean sort of way, which is always Mm -hmm. the thing that I find most incredulous because I'm really bad at that as a person. (laughs) Like, I – listen, I can talk to people, but I don't know what they're going to do. I don't have that, like, kind of – charismatic social manipulation but the logans know exactly what someone's going to say but at least they know it because of experience like Mm. how close this penitentiary is so close to boone county right like it's the it's the local jail it's the local prison and that's why they knew that um adam driver logan was going to go 
in it was going to go there with Joe Beck. Like they knew that and they knew that this mm-hmm. warden's like this. So I thought it was really, really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of that background like thread of how intelligent the Logans actually are throughout the whole back of this movie that makes the whole heist being pulled off even more believable. Yeah. But Joe gets sent to the infirmary where he, and asked to go to the bathroom. He doesn't want to use the bedpan. And Clyde, who conveniently has been working in the infirmary this time, offers to take him. So their little, all the little dots are connecting on the prison side. Uh, so good. I also, and again, this is where with the nurse, yes. I'm glad that uh, Joe Bang was uh, explicitly not a white supremacist. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> they instead have a very uh, charming little bit of back and forth before getting sent along to the bathroom where. Joe and Clyde remove a dispenser on the wall to reveal a tunnel inside of it to just walk through the walls of the prison. Um, And they manage to make their way to the woodshed through these interior ducts, loading up their wooden creation that they were making earlier in the movie onto the bottom of a delivery truck, which drives away after passing inspection, including a mirror scanning under the bottom. So essentially they've created like a blind for them to hide on the bottom of the truck with, uh, which is why they needed Melly's specifications before. Yeah, Melly's out here being uh, Marissa Tomei. It's incredible. Yes. <laughs> we love a little bit of a My Cousin Vinny moment in this uh, Ocean's Eleven hybrid. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, back in prison, Joe's buddies from before start a prison fight, prompting the prison to go into a lockdown, oh my including God. the infirmary. This is so good. It's like every single little thread, every single thread <laughs> is important and funny <laughs> in this in this thing. I think we see it with the pageant. It's very mm-hmm. funny. And now we see it with the prisoners that every single th- every single plot is funny and good. And yeah. it really pays. It really, really pays off. It's also, all those prisoners off. also work. The everyone in in the prison work on on like a um, like they know what they're doing in a very mm-hmm. heist movie sort of way. I really like that as well. That like these guys in it, and I think that you need to. We've talked about this in this episode in terms of like people who do crimes are not bad people, and mm-hmm. I think it's really important to demonstrate that when we're talking about the prison industrial complex. Like yeah. these guys were all nice, especially when we see the main guy. I forget his name, but we see him at the end of the movie. It's like mm-hmm. he's just a guy. He's a good guy, and I and I like him, and we're supposed to like him, especially when he talks to the warden in a later scene. <laughs> yes, some of my favorite moments in this movie were the when they would just occasionally cut back to the prison to show the progress of the like prisoner warden standoff and they'd have like back and forth conversation and like no one's really the bad guy in this situation they're both just kind of riffing on each other and it's oh my great God. we'll get there we're gonna talk yeah. about this <laughs> uh the bang bros make it explosive and set it off uh which turns off all of the card readers inside the stadium much to the chagrin of every single fast food employee i felt so bad for all of them they are just unfortunate side effects of this heist Hey, they're the ones stopping the heist there. So I don't feel that bad. The only people I don't like are everyone who works at this racetrack. (laughs) Uh, The convicts, Clyde and Joe, pop out from their makeshift car blind and into the waiting sports car of Melly. She's got a change of clothes. I wanted Melly to drive so bad. I wanted her so badly to drive. Yes. (laughs) This whole time. Um, but she's got a change of clothes for the boys in the backseat and a plan for dealing with the one cop that they know to be on patrol because they know this stretch of highway and backwards and forwards. Um, what's the plan? They got the purple lady in her purple car pulled over for speeding. <laughs> uh, the purple Can lady Can I say is something? Do you, yeah. Uh, once again, there's only one state trooper. Melly knew mm-hmm. that. They knew this like the back of their hand. Do you know who the state troopers were? 
No, who were they? I didn't catch it. Two NASCAR drivers, Carl Edwards, Kyle Busch, very famous NASCAR (laughs) drivers, which I thought was extra funny. Uh, I like that NASCAR at least had a sense of humor about this movie because I feel like it'd be very easy for a big sports organization to be like, I don't want you to show people stealing from us, but at least the drivers in this case going along with it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's. I think the fact that they said that the Coca-Cola 600 was so important mm-hmm. was good, and the fact that Sebastian Stan, oh, spoiler, he's an escrow <laughs> driver, is like a guy, it's kind of like like the treating driving yeah. like a real sport. I thought that's why they signed up. There's also a lot of other guys in here playing themselves, like Jeff Gordon, obviously, is in mm-hmm. doing the commentary. That t- commentary crew from Spots, Fox Sports was, tr- was true. Like, uh, I know those guys, and there's a lot of other um, NASCAR guys who are also in this. And Leanne Rimes is in it at some point, just being <laughs> Leanne Rimes. It's, it's good. It's real good. Yeah, and pretty much everyone you just mentioned we're going to cut right to because Jimmy is entering the stadium through the service entrance and the announcers are all talking about one driver in particular, Dayton, Sebastian Stan, uh, who is this very wealthy driver, very successful, but uh, treats his body as his operating system and is very hypervigilant about being like a health nut. He doesn't want any issues with his software, quote unquote. Um, (laughs) How did you feel about cutting to like a... (laughs) <laughs> of like a video package of yeah. Sebastian Stan in the middle of a heist. I, this is one of the parts where I'm like, okay, the pacing is a little bit weird sometimes in this movie. Uh, mm. I think we could have gotten this earlier as like an ad on TV or something. It may be playing at the bar or like on the, one of the prison TVs. But Oh, it's that would have been cool. Yeah, yeah I would have liked that. But he also is not particularly an important character in the grand. Like he's going to have this little moment later on. I, I get why yeah, they put it in very, closer to when he appears. It's definitely superfluous to the heist itself. Again, it does have that heist um, logic, that mm-hmm. one thing is very important and then has a cascading right. um, number of actions. But it's not like it's the Logans aren't they're bare it's this is so tangential to the actual heist. <laughs> yeah. Even even when it becomes a plot point later, it is barely important. Barely. Like yeah, I, I wonder think... if it's there just to illustrate that Seth MacFarlane's British character is sucks a lot. <laughs> and like being nice is important mm-hmm. question mark. I don't know, because, like, this movie doesn't have themes, necessarily. (laughs) It doesn't really have themes. So, like, I I don't even know what they were trying to do here. Yeah, I guess it adds to the satisfaction of when uh, that Brit gets his kind of comeuppance later on. But, But, like, barely. uh, Like, they could have left the whole thing. They could have left the whole thing. It didn't have to be Sebastian Stan. It it could have been left out. They could have gotten him in so many other ways. I thought it was great, but... It was like one reveal, one tiny reveal that took so much work mm-hmm. at the end. And we'll, yeah, we'll go there. Yeah. Um, because the systems of the park are, or the arena stadium track, there's so many words. <laughs> because the systems of the track are down, the food service locations can only, uh, you take cash and also they speed up all their drops into the vault. So all those pneumatic tubes of cash are going quicker than ever. And it's just raining down into the vault. Um, we then go back to uh, Seth McFarlane's British uh, bad guy from earlier, who's being interviewed alongside Dayton, pressuring him into drinking some sugary juice because sponsor money. But his his software, how will he, <laughs> how will this critical character handle? Well, you software? know, it was a, it, another beautiful 2017 um, touch. Of course, he got a Magnum bottle full of his own. <laughs> uh, what is it? Energy drink. It was energy yeah. drink. <laughs> Classic sports move. Get your own energy drink made. 
Class, classic NASCAR move in 2017. Na- energy <laughs> drinks are so expensive, are so profitable that they can mm-hmm. sponsor an entire an entire car. Yep. <laughs> uh, at the stadium, Joe pressures Clyde into getting some stadium snacks, which I thought was a fun little interaction. He goes and picks up some, is it gummy bears or something like that? Gummy bears, um, very important. Yep, very important. <laughs> Uh, we cut back to the prison for a little bit where the warden is trying to negotiate with the prisoners. And I love this exchange because they're big like, well, we got to stall for time and negotiate. Uh, we want the Game of Thrones novels added to the library. And he's like, hey, we totally could do that. But some of them have not been released yet. And then they go back and forth about the George R.R. R. Martin release schedule for a while. It seems that they're at a total stalemate. And what a hilarious way to illustrate that they are at a stalemate than to have them debate. Completely superfluous release schedule. About whether or not George R. R. Martin should have had the books out by now. You're right. Still happened in 2017. When they said they are deviating from the TV show, I'm like, Mm -hmm. man, I felt that right in my 2017 heart. Incredible. (laughs) Uh, National anthem, let the games begin. uh, And the heist gets into full swing. Joe and Clyde go fall through a trash chute to get below the stadium into the Location where all the mines to get to the pipes were. Um, <laughs> they meet up with Jimmy and gather outside the pneumatic tubes that they uh, he saw earlier. Joe takes out his supplies, the gummy bears from a moment ago, some of the fake salt that he was putting on his eggs at the prison, and bleach pens, and sticks them in a plastic bag, which the brothers seem unimpressed by, but Joe explains the science of it all, that he has excruciating detail done prior to this event to show them that this is how you're going to get that Joe Bang reaction. Uh, And he puts his concoction in a tube and sends it through the system, uh, running away to a safe distance. The brothers finally catching on to, oh, Joe Bang is going to do the thing he does, and also running to safety. (laughs) Uh, This is the most, I think, like, coming together of um, Knives Out and Ocean's Eleven, which is kind of the the lens I view this whole thing through, was this Mm -hmm. particular scene. Because, you know, in the Ocean's movies... There's Don Cheadle doing the absolute fucking worst British accent. I realized he was trying. I've looked this up. I've seen this movie so many times. Don Cheadle was trying when he was like, Rubble, Bonnie Rubble, we're in trouble. He was trying to do that. Like, that wasn't, he was trying to do a British accent. He was just bad at it. So, like, but the having someone ridiculous who knows things about explosives, I think mm-hmm. is very funny, but it really feels a little elevated. And I know we're comparing Don Cheadle and D- Daniel Craig, two of our, the greatest actors we've ever seen. <laughs> but like, even the, I loved this scene so much with the chalk writing out how everything <laughs> worked. And then of course the beautiful payoff at the end. Oh, mm-hmm. I twisted the bag too much. I'm yeah. sorry about that guy. <laughs> Yeah, the tube gets has to get sent back uh, through the system because it, it gets stuck and then he adjusts it and then it works. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it is just like you really get to watch Daniel Craig kind of show off in this scene. And they really let him have his moment of like taking the time to try and explain the whole thing with this sort of added pressure of, is that thing that he's holding going to explode at any moment? Because we, the audience are like, ah, it's a bag of stuff that he says is extremely volatile. And he's been waving it around this whole time. He's been explaining his science behind creating it right it was like it i think that steven soderbergh has refined something this this thing something that ryan johnson does very very well mm-hmm. is that you are doing both plot and comedy at the same time yeah and i feel like in the oceans movies as much as i love them it's either one or the other 
either mm-hmm. they're moving the heist along or they're saying the nose plays the nose plays you know what i mean yeah. like it's uh, they're doing jokes they're clearing out to let celebrities do jokes or they're moving the heist <laughs> forward and they he finally really did both at the mm-hmm. same time here yeah as jam-packed as this movie is it's not that there are comedic scenes and then there are serious scenes so much as it is just everything is kind of always happening at the same time uh mm-hmm. which keeps it for being a little on the longer side moving along relatively smoothly which is critical for a heist because if you start thinking about the heist too much you're out of the movie and that's you, you've gone <laughs> truly i think we're getting into the most dense part of the movie coming mm-hmm. up and like especially because we're uh going to be saying it multiple seeing it from multiple angle angles later on so like what well, let's hold on let's let's figure it <laughs> out let's let's figure it out um because yeah. again it's it's one of those things that don't that like oh this was weird but I, you, then you realize later, oh, it's because they cut out a whole chunk mm-hmm. of the scene to show it to us <laughs> later. So uh, right. I'm, I'm brave. This is the part where things get a little wonky, and I'm, mm-hmm. I, I just want to. It was fun watching it, but hearing you retell it, I'm gonna be like, yeah, that was weird, huh? Yeah. Was weird. <laughs> uh, some of the food workers notice smoke coming from the pneumatic tubes and call into security, who, despite having nothing showing on their readouts, is like, oh, we'll send a couple guys down there to patrol, see if there's a fire or something. See, all cops are bastards, including the ones at the the track. Come on. Yep. The workers are complicit in the police state of the the Charlotte's Motor Speedway. (laughs) Uh, The whole crew is pumping cash into a cart using a suction tube. So they're just incredible. Zooping the cash right back out of the safe. I love this. Uh, but it, they, at one point it blows too fast, so they have to reverse it. And in reversing it, it sucks off Clyde's prosthetic arm and sends that into the safe. See, both plot and joke at the same time. It's it was so funny. Go it going up too high. We've all had that experience playing with a leaf blower mm-hmm. or a va- or like a new high powered vacuum cleaner. But and then of course it happens. Course. Both joke and and plot at the same time. Beautiful, incredible. Uh, and they all, of course, are arguing about this. It's kind of the big like, oh no, this is something that's gone really wrong moment. Uh, as the brothers try to convince Clyde to leave the arm, and in the process, uh, blame Jimmy for Clyde losing it when he was in the army, which is very roundabout. <laughs> I love. I actually really like this about the exposition. Is like mm-hmm. you know, put it in the mouth of your dumbest character, and then uh, and then it won't <laughs> feel as like. You're doing exposition here. I actually mm-hmm. thought though I noticed that, and it really did feel like an exposition dump. But I like the fact that like the sludgiest, um, oh, what the fuck is his name? Uh, Jack uh, Quaid in in a Sam terrible Jack wig Quaid. in his sludgiest, terrible, <laughs> terrible accent is just gonna drop exposition on people in the middle of a tense scene. A, a beautiful mm-hmm. time to do exposition. <laughs> It's kind of like this is the same strategy they had with the purple lady in the opening of the movie where she also drops some critical Logan exposition. It's just like, exactly. well, she's not really doing too much else in this scene. So we'll just but at least put it in the mouth of someone who's stupid. Yeah, it, it definitely <laughs> makes it go down better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bang Brothers are mad that moving the date of the heist had avoided their moral. I forgot you keep moral... calling them the Bang Brothers. It's re- <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. I also want to shout out really quickly just because we didn't. I didn't do this until I was looking at it. Uh, the, Sam Bang is Brian Gleason, uh, who is mm. the son of Brendan Gleason, who just got nominated for an Oscar in uh, yeah. Banshee's of Sheeran. Very so a tradition of again throwing <laughs> an Irish guy in there uh, yep. of like 
these this country ridiculousness. He's playing a bruv <laughs> really well, and I th- yeah. I really like that. And I think that he's also a very good actor. He's been in Phantom Thread. He's been in a mm. lot of other stuff. So like real real another really good actor. I know that we've we've kind of commended everyone in the heist except. I mean, for everyone him in the heist actor, is doing their best day on actor. set. I can't like really knock any of them. There's no performance that really stood out to me as particularly poor or intrusive to the movie like i yeah. guess you could say like well seth mcfarland's kind of doing a bit but his character is a bit so it, it works in the world of this movie um mm-hmm. but the bang brothers are mad that the date of the heist changing has voided their moral reason to heist as you remember it was because of it being on that one grocery store right. uh date that they were going to be involved in that at all um so Jimmy trying to salvage the situation is like, Clyde, I'll get you your arm back. You just got to go along with us and finish the job. And uh, we then go to the race for a little bit to get some racing drama in, <laughs> in the middle of this heist where Dayton is driving when his quote unquote OS crashes and he spins off the course, presumably from the sugary energy drink that he was made to drink uh, before the race. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't complain. I guess this is the fat I was looking for, but I guess mm-hmm. it wasn't with like another character. It yeah. wasn't with weird Steve Jobs NASCAR <laughs> driver Sebastian Stan. So I, I don't know. I guess it was kind of a break from yeah. the from the heist, but I wish they could have like dicked her. You know, it's like I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you know, Tarantino movies are really good mm-hmm. at this where it's like wild shit happens and then they talk about Star Wars for fifteen minutes. And I think that like maybe that could I don't know if I wanted that, but that is a different direction that it could have went on instead of this being fucking a lean piece of steak, a lean piece of 120 minute steak. Yeah. And I, I think they picked a good moment for them to cut away to something in the grand scheme. Like when you finish watching the movie and they've done their little twists and everything, you're like, oh, okay, I see why we, the audience, had to leave the tense heist in this moment. But I think there are better ways to have done it. Like they could have just jumped right to the next scene, which is the Bang Brothers dressed as trash guys, uh, leaving the pipe works to take their money out in trash bags and and exit the stadium yeah i really like the trash bags i thought that was a really smart especially when they put it Mm -hmm. on the big cart i thought that was really yeah uh they run right past the security guys who have nothing to be suspicious of yet having cleared their level already but their acting leaves a little to be desired and although they're let through the guards turn around to continue investigating the level they just left and notice smoke from inside a ventilation room very Uh, steven soderbergh of course of making actors act like they're bad at acting very very steven soderbergh of him Joe is sent to check on his brothers and the security guards open the ventilation room with all the smoke, which contains Earl, who was at the bar earlier, who is sitting in there smoking. (laughs) No one is not recurring in this movie. You can't say that. Every single person is important. Purple lady coming back. Earl coming back. Maybe. Honestly, maybe. Uh, If if the purple (laughs) lady was involved at this point in in the movie, if the purple lady was in on it. I would not have been surprised. Like, if she got, like, a beautiful thing at the end of the movie, I would not have been surprised. No. Um, Joe goes to diagnose the gate issue his brothers are having. They've been stuck behind this mechanical gate that they can't get to open. And Jimmy also goes up to check in, has a brief conversation with security, who seem to not find him all that odd, just asking if he's seen any smoke. And he gets the gate open for them, and the Bang brothers continue driving out of the stadium and taking all that cash to the parking lot. Jimmy sends Clyde and Joe off. They need to get back into prison before anyone notices they were missing. Meanwhile, Dayton is arguing with his British sponsor. uh, But when he rounds the corner of the uh, kind of like ready walkways around the uh, track, he runs right into Joe and Clyde and the Brit immediately recognizes Clyde. Scuffle. And then we cut right to Joe and Clyde getting into the car with Melly. (laughs) 
I do like the fact that this they wait a little while to figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe in like again, I I guess it's not fat anymore if this if it gets paid off immediately if it's very important to the heist. So right. I don't know. Um, Melly also just voices that they are a little late to the pageant, so that's little. Just don't forget pageants happening. Um, Jimmy too heads out of the stadium with a truck full of tr- cash in trash bags, and seeing the time on the race, the prisoners back at. Uh, the prison start a fire in one of the trash cans to set off the fire alarm. And at the urging of the other guards, the warden finally admits to what's going on and calls in the fire. I, actually, he doesn't admit to what's going on, but he uh, acquiesces that they have to call the fire department. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the fire truck takes off, Clyde and Joe, now in fireman costume, hop onto the back. That's how they're getting back into the prison. What a finely tuned machine this we is. We saw the fireman costume an hour ago in Melly's <laughs> trunk. I'm like, wow. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think the getting in and out of the prison bits are probably my favorite parts of this heist uh, on the total. Like, just anything Joe and Clyde are doing to get in or out of that prison is always so so finicky and specific but so finely tuned and it's just fun to watch (laughs) yeah it's kind of funny how how high stress this particular heist is like not all it's you're breaking in and then out of prison plus the heist itself Mm -hmm. it's like there's just it's two heists in one on three heists honestly you're you're doing doing three things that you should not be doing at the same time It's, you know, it's the rule of threes. That's what... Oh, my God. <laughs> Should have had that on your 10-step list of heist rules. <laughs> rules to rub <laughs> Yeah, make sure direction. it's dramatically satisfactory. Yeah. <laughs> Narrative satisfaction will ensure success. The fire department breaks into the cafeteria, blows out the little tiny trash can fire, and uh, has, like, a very <laughs> resigned fire chief. Melly, meanwhile, arrives at the pageant just in time to fix up the daughter's hair as she asks about where her dad is and if he'll make it there on time. Where is Jimmy? Is he going to make it to the pageant on time? This is the critical part of the plan. Honestly, the answer, you're tr- you're right. Yeah. It's very important. <laughs> He's got to be there. Um, the nurse in prison goes to check on Joe and he is back in the infirmary. He has like a little line about like when the lockdown went on, me and Clyde got stuck on the other side of the door with the oh, bathroom, which is so, so scared. <laughs> so, so uh, it helps that him and this uh, nurse have a lot of like, like friendly chemistry too. So it does yes, just feel like very fun flirty, banter. But I like, yeah. I, man, Daniel Craig has chemistry with anyone whenever he wants oh, to. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, at the pageant, Sadie goes to sing Umbrella, the song she'd previously prepared while looking for her dad, who walks in just in time to catch her performance. But instead of singing Umbrella, she announces a change of song to her daddy's favorite song, Country Roads. And we, as she sings, the whole audience joins in. It's this big moment. Everyone at the pageant is going to remember this. <laughs> it's like, did he... Did, so, so, okay. Was the first scene of the movie also in the heist Mm, i think it's before it but i imagine he just talks about the song country roads a lot like it might just be in her mind i guess everyone knows it's his favorite it's his favorite um song i just don't didn't know if he would manipulate his daughter like that or if he like (laughs) i think the fact that he was at the heist or the fact that I guess maybe he understood that she was going to do well at the pageant anyway, regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not that was like, oh, that's my daughter. or He actually thinks she's good at whatever she's going to do, regardless right. of if she sang Country Roads or not. But 
I don't know. Like, I can't imagine him manipulating his daughter like that. But th- yeah. this entire movie is about Jimmy doing things before the movie starts that makes sure the heist goes well. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I could see it going either way. I think the important part for him was being at the pageant so people could be like, you were at this pageant all day. Um, but the it's sort of icing on the cake, both in the fatherly pride sense and also, wow, what an alibi yeah, <laughs> sense yeah. that his daughter did country roads. She also wins the pageant. What a what, congrats, Sadie. So cute. <laughs> um, Moody, the uh, new husband, also sees how his car is all dirty. Guess that. Blue stick shift is back in the proper hands after all. Melly has returned his sports car. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna talk about this now. This is near the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, and uh, well, sorry. Let me let me wait because the my I cannot believe that there's 15 minutes left and this is happening. Moment shows up uh, when <laughs> at the end. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep I'll keep this in my pocket. But there are a few things that happen that I'm surprised didn't come out mm-hmm. that we see in the movie that no one really brings up. Yeah. Um, we then see kind of like in a in a real twist of the movie, Jimmy goes to a gas station with his truck full of the trash bags of money, leaves it and hitchhikes away with a passing trucker. Um, everyone seems to be resting after a successful heist in their respective bunks, beds and couches. And Jimmy returns to his list all but but number 10 scratched off, uh, hangs it up and walks away. Yeah, I'm, yeah, 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 you keep going, mm-hmm. keep going, keep going. Yeah, he burns the list outside, and a news report says that the police have received the stolen money after an anonymous call led them to a truck in a gas station, and everyone sort of goes back to their day-to-day routines after this, uh, including Melly. Uh, her customers are like, why would someone rob a place and not take the money? Vo- vocalizing out loud the thing that every single person watching this movie was wondering. Um, and we now are introduced to two more characters who are going to kind of just be here for the last 15 minutes or so. Uh, Two FBI agents examining the scene of the crime inside the vault. Um, They interview all of the key characters, like the pipeline supervisor, who's like, well, everything is the same way it was when we left it this morning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is the stuff I wanted. This is the stuff I wanted to ask. Okay. First of all, it's Hillary goddamn Swank doing an insane accent. (laughs) Hillary Swank shows up with 15 minutes left in this movie. (laughs) I had to ask Amanda, who I was watching this movie with, does Hillary Swank sound like this? Like, imagine she did this in Million Dollar Baby. Oh, my God. She does not. She doesn't sound like that. She just sounds crazy. She's like, she's doing an impression, I think, of like Mariska Hargitay in mm. CSI, in like Law and Order. And I know she doesn't yeah. sound like that, but like a real CSI Law and Order type FBI agent, which I think was really funny. And Hillary Swank gets to be funny, uh, which I, re- I really liked. So here's my question. For all mm-hmm. the things we're going to talk about in this montage, I'm surprised certain things didn't come out. But I guess this is also the Logans know that these people have pride, so they don't talk about stuff especially to outsiders, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about Moody, who knew that his car was all messed up, but I guess he had pride that he did not want to say that his car got all messed up. Right. Um, this is another thing that happens with the warden, how the warden says, oh, uh, nothing bad happened here. The fire was just a kitchen fire. Nothing bad happened. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's not mm-hmm. even that the warden knew that they escaped, which I think is important. They got one over on the warden. It's just that the warden would double down and say nothing bad happened at the at the prison regardless. Like, they, he didn't even talk about the, the standoff. 
And I right. think that was important that he, his ego was too his ego was too big for that. But that was mm-hmm. really interesting. And then of course, uh, the whole thing with Sebastian Stan gets paid off when Sebastian Stan right. says there was uh, nothing happened at the raceway with uh, Seth mm-hmm. Green and when they ran into Adam Driver and, and Joe Bang, which I thought I thought was all kind of interesting. I don't know. It's really the Logans calling calling their shot with that. Yeah. Um, it's before a, it's we move an understanding. On, yeah. Before one before we move on. Do you something that's important is that everyone is mad at Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Every person who we've talked to so far in the heist is mad at Jimmy because they think Jimmy returned the the money. And this is mm-hmm. when they say Ocean's 7-Eleven. There we go. Here we are. Did, <laughs> yep. you, did you think Jimmy actually returned the money? I had a feeling about... Because this went on for a while. I think if this had only lasted like maybe five minutes, I would have been all in on Jimmy returned the money. But this lasts for about 15. And by the fifth minute, I'm like, oh, there's no way he returned this money. Like, he got me at first, but then it went on a little too long. And I'm like, there's no way they would be lingering on this too long unless there was some kind of twist at the very, very end or some sort of payoff. Maybe he stashed some. Maybe there's some other bit of the heist left. Okay, Um, second second question. mm Mm-hmm. Did you think that because I this was a little complicated for me? Did the other Logans, specifically Melly and Adam Driver, did they were they acting that they were mad at Jimmy? I don't think they were. I think they did. I, I think that's sort of like the Jimmy of it all. Is he's the right. he's the guy with the plan, right? He's got the rules. Uh, and although they could conceivably have been like, well, we know the list, I think that they were genuinely, at least at first, mad at him. Um, yeah. I yeah. went back and forth on this for a while, and I knew, I figured they were trying to cut out the bangs, which mm-hmm. it, which made sense because they got involved because the stupid fucking bangs got involved, <laughs> and they were annoyed. They were definitely annoyed by that. But I think that what you just said about having number 10 be walk away. Mm-hmm. And and not only that Jimmy burned it, burned the list, so it's like he had to fool his own siblings that mm-hmm. he was willing to walk away, even though he probably right. wasn't. But he had to – and he didn't – he burned the list so it wasn't evidence, but he also burned it so the only people who knew about the list were his siblings, so they're the only ones who could get – who could have guilt in their mind uh, or doubt right. in their mind. So I thought that that was really interesting, and that's why I did think – that Jimmy is the only one who actually knew what the fuck was going on. Mm-hmm. It gives him this whole air of being the mastermind that he is this whole movie, uh, but like really doubling down on it in the very, very yeah. end. Um, yeah, as you described, we see the FBI I'm agents sorry. kind of going. I, just, I want to talk about the end of the movie. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, the FBI is going to pretty much any like minor character who showed up at some point in this movie and asking them questions about the heist. So they go to the Brit and he's like, yeah, I saw the I saw these guys. That's that's Clyde. He's the guy who, who beat me up. Uh, and they're like, really? Because when we showed the footage of you yelling at Dayton, uh, Dayton did not back up your story about seeing anyone. Um, so he gets his comeuppance. Shit happens like you got to beat up again. You've got to beat up a guy you've already beaten up. Shit happens. <laughs> Shit happens. Uh, Clyde is let out of prison after his 90 days and Melly comes to pick him up. Neither of them have talked to Jimmy. Clyde is crashing with Melly in the meantime, uh, instead of going back to the trailer him and Jimmy lived in. Uh, and he's opening all his old mail from when he was in prison, including a case from Veterans Affairs. Wonder what could be in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
the FBI goes to the warden asking about the brothers and Joe after all these coincidences. But as you said, the warden insists there was no incidents at the prison at all that day, brushing the riot under the rug. Um, and he's certain that no one could have gotten out and back into his prison. That's that's crazy talk. Who would do that? Who would do that? <laughs> Who would break out only to break back in? Shit's crazy. Yeah. That's, I think, maybe the most ingenious part of this whole plan is that they're like, no, 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 you guys got to go back into prison afterwards. That's the perfect way to get this alibi squared away. I feel like they had to. I was actually, I was wondering about this. I think that the fact that Joe Bang only had like a few months left on his prison mm-hmm. sentence, like that was actually very important to the whole thing. Yeah. Joe is watching the reporting on the robbery in the cafeteria as the warden and some guards come and ask him about the food, dumping his lunch on the floor and making him clean it up before beating him up and throwing him in solitary. Uh, So Joe's sort of getting even salt in the wound of the whole not having any money currently. (laughs) Or fake salt in the wound. Mm. 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 (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Which could it be? (laughs) So many twists. The FBI tries to put together what's up with the brothers, but everyone's alibis are airtight. Um, Joe finishes his sentence and leaves prison, going to duct tape the bar and having a drink with Clyde, asking about Jimmy, but Clyde insists he hasn't talked to him. Last he heard, Jimmy moved south to be closer to his daughter. Um, Oh, fuck. Wait a second. I know why they did this. Do you yeah. remember the beginning of the movie when Joe Bang has all that money and then his brother's girlfriend takes the money? Yeah. So Jimmy had to double down and make sure no one knew what was going on, not even the people involved in the heist, because the everybody has right. the capacity to lie oh. and talk about a cool thing that happened. Yeah. No, that for sure. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Jimmy definitely kept it from everyone for their own good, mm-hmm. because it's 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 really funny that the thing about Jimmy is that. It would be really annoying if he wasn't as fucking smart as he was. Yeah. Like, he really thinks he knows better than everyone else. Even though mm-hmm. he's, like, humble, he's the kind of person that's like, no, you made the wrong decision. I actually I fixed this for you. Which could be right. really annoying if he wasn't, one, Channing Tatum, two, down <laughs> in his luck, and three, incredibly smart all the time. Yeah, he's kind of the underdog, but he's only the underdog in appearances, and he's putting a lot of work into making it seem that way. Yes, um, yes, 100%. he's actually always in control of the situation. Yeah, it's like he's it's like after his his football career ended, it's like he spent his entire life acting like a loser, so just mm-hmm. so he could pull this off. Yeah, which the I think is it's kind of the point of cauliflower, I guess. Yeah, so maybe it is. I don't know. The FBI is told that they want to close the case. They're like, you've had six months, you've made no arrests. Let's just put this one in the books and uh our fbi agent has one more question uh for the track executive exactly how much money was stolen uh and how did you arrive at the number to ask for for the insurance agency if you don't actually know how much money was stolen giving us a little hint that maybe no one actually knows if all the money was recovered I love I love this just like the this entire thing, which you have to do as a 2017 yeah. heist. Though we're living in a postmodern, a post postmodern world, we're living in a <laughs> late stage capitalism world that like this whole thing hinges on the insurance paying it back, so everyone just kind of leaves it. I guess that's the important part of the heist. You take the money and then you gotta stay gone. And what do you how do mm-hmm. you do that? Um, there's also uh, and we know this from Ryan Johnson after Poker Face that like. Um, 
uh, Columbo is such a thing right now. Right. That, of course, this, is, uh, this movie is just a mashup of so many different types of, of stories. They give Hillary Swank and her weird fucking accent a one more thing. But <laughs> here's the thing. thing. FBI agents can't fucking close cases. They don't, <laughs> they don't do anything with the one more thing. The one more thing tells them exactly what they need to know, but they can't do anything about it. Which mm-hmm. I think was was a very interesting commentary on yeah. on this, it's type, another this type of investigation. Example of like the Logans knowing, or Jimmy specifically, kind of knowing how the people in this area work. He's like, yeah, the executives at this track are going to go for that insurance payout. It's yeah, they probably will just let this go if they're getting money back. And um, there's no way the feds were going to come out winning in this movie. Right. It's a heist movie. the 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 criminals are the heroes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Speaking of our criminal heroes, Joe is sipping coffee at his home when there's a knock at the door and going outside, he finds a shovel and this is where it comes full circle. He goes to the tree where he had buried that previous money that his brother's girlfriend had run off with and he finds his cut of the stolen money from the stadium. Yeah. And it's, and then we flash back through the whole heist, all the things going wrong throughout the heist as part of their plan as Fortunate Son plays in the background. <laughs> the so only option. Funny. It's like we were going to <laughs> Vietnam. It was so good. Yeah. We see like Jimmy finishing up everything because previously we just cut from everyone else leaving to Jimmy then driving out with the truck. We see him get the arm back. We see that, that he... was, But the arm was intent. They did the arm intentionally. Here's the thing. This is why <laughs> I was so confused about whether or not the Logans were in on it. Because the mm-hmm. Logans, the getting the arm caught in the thing was a, was a, was a ruse. Like he never mm. actually got it. It was just in the pump. It wasn't inside of the... It wasn't inside of the of the vault, so that's why mm-hmm. I was confused about whether or not all the Logans know. But I'm realizing it was a triple cross for their for their own good. Yeah, um, he also throws the money out in these in trash bags, but he marks them with these red clips. And then him and Earl go later in a trash truck to pick them up from the dump and retrieve them. Earl, critical character that appears <laughs> so early on, and then for not again until so much later. Um, uh, Naaman, the prisoner who sort of led the rioters on behalf of Joe, uh, gets picked up from prison in style when he's let out with a waiting uh, limo driver and bag full of cash and champagne. He's genuinely like, oh, warmed yeah. my heart, genuinely. So sweet. I was, yeah. I, I felt so. I was so happy for him. Mm-hmm. It, I, he was the one of the like kind of three miscellaneous characters we see get a little bit of something that I'm like, yeah, you deserved it. You, you did. Yeah, he was the one who deserved work. the most because I think he did the best job. But also, and this is me maybe reading into it. Did you see his outfit, how he was wearing like wraparound shades and like a beanie mm-hmm. and stuff, which felt very like early 2000s. So in my yeah. head and also because he's an older he was an older guy, he seemed to be in his 40s or 50s. It made in my head. I'm like, oh, he's been in there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he got out and got money and was treated like royalty immediately really warmed my heart. I I, yeah. I legitimately was moved. <laughs> it's extremely sweet. And then immediately afterwards, we see uh, Sylvia, who you may or may not remember from <laughs> getting flirted with by Jimmy earlier in the movie, gets a big old donation to her See, that's clinic. what I'm saying is, like, Jimmy thinks he knows better. Just he's like, nah, I'm going to use some money to talk to one girl I kissed in <laughs> high school to make sure she knows I'm not a dick. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That that was like Jimmy's hubris almost. Yeah. I obviously didn't blow up in his face, but it's like Jimmy knows best. 
Um, mm-hmm. And of course, no one could call him on the account. If there was like one other person, if this was Ocean's Eleven and like Brad Pitt was there, like they would, or like a money guy, if anyone had smarts on this team other than Jimmy, they would have been <laughs> like, so wait, where did, uh, I heard, wow, I uh, heard that this, 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 um, medical care truck just got a $50,000 donation. Really weird, Jimmy. Some girl you kissed in high school all of a sudden has $50,000 to run her, her needles on wheels. Huh? Huh? Weird, <laughs> huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, Gleason, the lady from the vault, gets a cake, aka a bunch of cash. You'll remember her from the one who got the birthday cake delivered earlier in the heist for a scene that no one is quite sure. <laughs> no one's really it. sure what happened. The only person who does not get money that absolutely should have is the purple lady should have gotten something purple. Like, they should have gotten her, like, a really nice purple bag or something. I, that would have been great. <laughs> no, the purple lady sucks. That's the point. <laughs> That's why she got arrested. That's why she got pulled over, because she had drugs. <laughs> The purple lady's not nice. That's the point. They couldn't have gotten her like a purple jumpsuit. <laughs> no, only nice people get money. That's the only theme we understand from this movie. <laughs> if you're nice, you get money. That thank you, Steven Soderbergh. If nothing else, it's very clear theming. Um, Jimmy is still driving his old pickup truck, and he's now wearing a Lowe's uniform as he drives to his ex-wife's house to pick up his daughter for his time. Um, and his daughter is now apparently over pageants and really into cooking. Yeah. Uh, so they're bonding. It's great. He's still got a job uh, to kind of cover the, ooh, what's, where are you getting your money from, buddy? Uh, which is always really smart after a heist. You can't just mm-hmm. do nothing. Um, yeah, I was looking really, really hard to see if his uh, truck improved at all. No. Yeah. No. Looks the same. Yeah. <laughs> Um, back at duct tape, Clyde gives Jimmy a drink and Jimmy explains his logic on how he knew it was all clear after the six months because he's like, well, my phone company shut off my phone after about 60 days. And then I'm like, well, I figured kind of size that up. It was like six months. The trailer would be like foreclosed on essentially. So that must mean that's about the cycle of these things coming back around. Probably yeah, the FBI system is going to work real, on the same like, day. The insurance company for the track will probably pay them out in like six months. Yeah, let's let's talk about this last scene. I have a question, <laughs> but please. Yeah, so basically Sylvia walks in and has a drink with Jimmy, and then Joe and Melly are having a drink and chatting about the Logan curse. Uh, meanwhile, across the bar, Clyde is helping uh, a woman have her toast, and it's... This woman has a really weird <laughs> voice, did you notice? <laughs> yeah. Who could it be but FBI agent Hillary Swank? Everyone is paired up, and the arm even has a beer in its hand over on the side of the bar. Did Happy you ending? Notice she, did she also have an amp? Was she also an amputee? Uh, I didn't catch it in this scene, but I wouldn't put it past this movie to have that in the last second. Yeah, like her one of her arm, one of her hands, I felt like was fake. I didn't understand what she was doing there. So like, no, was was the point of her being there either that like Logan Lucky Two even more L- Logan while they're trying to escape this <laughs> FBI agent, or mm-hmm. like was she a little bit in on it, or was this just serendipitous? I didn't really. This is the part that I didn't understand for something yeah. that's so well put together. I have no idea why she showed up at the end. I feel like there are two possible explanations for it, and I'm not really sure I love either of them. One is that, like, in the course of the investigation, she was really taken with Clyde, and she's coming back to be, like, part of the Logan circle. She, like, wants into this world, right? That's one explanation. Right. And the other one is that 
she hasn't given up on investigating this crime. She thinks that she can get them now. So she's coming to kind of work it from be the inside man, so to speak, uh, for the FBI. I assumed it was that one. That's like the one that yeah. the, the latter that that's what movies do. But mm-hmm. it's kind of a and then immediately credits. <laughs> <laughs> Hard cut to credits. <laughs> We did. Hey, Sophia, we did it. This episode is as long as the movie. <laughs> Woo! Let's see. I mean, listen, I'm only looking at the amount of time that I've recorded. We've recorded this one, but we're mm-hmm. almost at an hour for this one. And I think we recorded an hour for the other one. This was a <laughs> tight, tight 120, two hours tops. So I really mm-hmm. want to make sure that we we record for longer than the actual epi- the, the actual movie. <laughs> Oh, great. Well, for the sake of dragging this out, then, do you have any sort of closing thoughts on the movie? Um, I like to ask, like, would you recommend our audience watch this movie? Is there a certain situation they should watch it in? Kind of bring it a f- full circle, as this movie is very fond of doing. <laughs> very good point. Yeah, something I said in the first episode, something I said in the first in the first minute is really important here. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually kind of, and I know, listen, I'm sure you know as a movie person, not really to look into Rotten Tomatoes rankings mm-hmm. but i do do find it very interesting just as kind of like a you know to take the temperature of everything right. and everyone like you should use it as a general as a general graph here 92 percent for the critics on 290 mm. reviews and 76 percent and over twenty five thousand ratings would huh. I, i'm I can see why critics are so smitten by Steven Soderbergh because he's an incredible filmmaker and this was a really, really fun ride, especially because mm-hmm. this was um, this was like Steven Soderbergh coming out of retirement, remember? Like he didn't want right. to do studio movies anymore and he finally figured out a way to do it himself, which is with the iPhone stuff and with HBO, HBO Max. Have you seen that other, that other movie that he's done, the one on HBO Max with Helen Mirren? I have not seen that one yet. No. God, what is that shit? What's that shit called? Um, uh, no, it's not Helen Mirren with with Meryl Streep. Soderbergh. Either way, I'm still on board. <laughs> uh, it's really good. It's called Let Them All Talk. It's with mm. uh, Steven Soderbergh directed it. It's set on a cruise ship. It has Meryl Streep, Diane Weist, Candace Bergen, Lucas Hedges, and Gemma Chan in it. Uh, it came out at the end of 2020, so it was definitely like a. Uh, you could tell it was like a COVID film thing Mm -hmm. but again just like if you know people in your life who like older lady movies and i know a lot of people who go hard (laughs) for candace bergen and diane weiss not to mention meryl streep um it's really really good like i saw 80 for brady with a lot of other excited people uh because we like old old really talented ladies um this is a really good movie and i think that this kind of charts like soderbergh's just gonna do whatever the fuck he wants and i think that's really Mm -hmm. important um, I, of course, would love to recommend this movie. I love this movie. Do I love this movie because I love heist movies, though? That's why I think the 76% comes in. There's 25% mm. of people that say, this is too much. There's too much going on. I don't get it. I don't understand. And I really think you need to watch, like, heist movies and crime movies. Or not, mm. not crime movies necessarily, but, like... Um, detective stuff like Columbo. Yeah, like a procedural or, or Columbo type. Like there's yeah, a lot of elements yeah. of like that you, in here along yeah, with kind of the heist. Need, or like you're a fan of that other type of action movie where like maybe like Zodiac would be a good mm. example. Is that also Soderbergh? I think so. It might also be Soderbergh. Yeah, I think that's also Soderbergh. So like, you know, knowing his oeuvre I think is also really important. Um, 
well, because of course watching the oceans oceans movie is really important with that too so mm-hmm. i don't know i i can definitely see what it is i would only recommend this to i feel like only like film people watch this movie mm-hmm. but i would yeah. love to recommend it to someone who like likes action movies i think is what yeah. i would get at I think this has a lot of potential to have much broader appeal. I can see why it only kind of attracted a like film nerd audience at first, but I do think that there's a a lot to love here. Um, there's definitely maybe some pacing issues here and there, but I don't think there's enough to take away from the fun of how complex and yet flawless this heist is. Yeah. I think there's a, a lot of really great performances. They've got a <laughs> cast of Hollywood darlings. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's mm-hmm. worth it. And also, I want to say it was David Fincher who did Zodiac. Fincher, but not, I still, yeah. it's like somewhere in between in between Ryan Johnson and David Fincher is Steven <laughs> Soderbergh. Um, yeah, I, I, I want people to watch it now. I mm-hmm. It's funny how 2017 this movie is. But yeah. really, it's taken on a lot more heft as like a brilliant diamond in the rough mm-hmm. when you watch it in 2023. Um, post post um, Glass Onion. And also yeah. post uh, Ocean's Eight. This would Did be you a watch great, Ocean's like, Eight. I I can't remember. Have you have you covered or have you covered on the show or have you Sophia watched Ocean's <laughs> Eight? Uh, we haven't covered it on the show, but I've seen the Oceans. I've seen Ocean's Eight and the other Oceans movies. All of them. You've seen all of them. Okay. Yeah. What did you? Uh, think I'm personally of also a heist fan. <laughs> yes. Shout out to heist yeah. movies. What did you think yeah. of Ocean's Eight? I had a good time with it. I don't think it's my favorite of the Oceans by any standard. Um, I think it's, you know, got a lot of the fun heist elements that I love. And on those levels, I appreciated it. But I I don't know if it was doing anything that, like, grabbed me so much in the way that, like, watching the first Oceans movie for the first time kind of did. Of course. Because I think that, unfortunately, it's almost like Steven Soderbergh was stuck under a glass ceiling, which is, I understand what I'm saying. But it's like, well... This movie needs to be an Oceans movie. It's not even a heist mm-hmm. movie. And it was nice seeing um, Soderbergh un- unshackled from the Oceans <laughs> series that he could just do a heist movie. Um, right. Because I was really – I wasn't upset, but I was bothered on behalf of the people in Oceans 8 that they were in an Oceans movie, you know? Mm-hmm. That, like, Danny – an ocean was running this, this heist. If it was Kate Blanchett – if imagine Lydia Tarr was running this fucking heist movie, <laughs> oh right? Oh my god! <laughs> and I think that it's, it's just like it would have been a totally different story. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I definitely see there's a lot of connective tissue between a lot of stuff that's been going on here. Steven Soderbergh doesn't have like the nerd joy that Ryan Johnson does, um, yeah. Which is like, I guess, which is why this was so much uh, smoother and less mm-hmm. silly. But funny, but less silly. And I think that, like, why everything was brilliant and certainly not ridiculous, but definitely, like, smirking or satirical while Ryan Johnson is like, hey, look at at this fucking shit. Look at this. Look at this. (laughs) But, um, yeah, again, I I think I I don't remember if I said this earlier on, but Glass Onion is so funny that – because, again, we've been going for two hours over two days, so I don't remember what I said. But, again, it's funny that Glass Onion was a movie about – how Daniel Craig is stuck in a rut in the second mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> it's an inherently comedic premise for that character because it's number two of however many of those they'll end up making. Like that's a that's a third movie in a trilogy, like at best move usually. Exactly. Like the third movie is always is always I've been burned. I'm done. I'm kind of mm-hmm. done with everything going on. 
Do you, here's a question. Do you want Logan Lucky 2 to exist? I think I'm okay with Logan Lucky being a standalone. Like, I think that, oh, yeah. that we got the story of the Logans. If they were going to do a Logan Lucky 2, I don't want Jimmy Logan to be the kind of main character. I almost want it to be like Melly is leading a heist or something else is kind of adjacent. Like I want it to be like a legacy sequel. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Do you think there should be a, a second Logan Lucky movie? I don't think in a million years Steven Soderbergh would do it. No. And I think that that's part of the reason. Like wouldn't it kind of invalidate the whole premise, the movie, mm-hmm. like the existence Knowing of the movie? Knowing when to walk away is the tenth tenant of the bank. Damn, heist. Sophia. And damn, isn't that you also got the tenant of this movie? You got over. Put it on. Put it on the fucking list. Put it on the list. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like almost. And again, I said the Scream relationship is like Scream intentionally needed more movies, but mm-hmm. this one intentionally shouldn't because yeah. Steven Soderbergh did it, so no one would tell him what the fuck to do. Um, yeah. No, I, I I want one because I was so charmed by the low frequency charisma of everyone. But no, there can't be a yeah. there can't be a second. Movie. I would love another heist movie from this director with some of these actors, but I don't think it needs to be like a Logan Lucky sequel. I think it could just be a different setting, a different group of characters. Let at them have another point, kind of heist. At this point, is Channing Tatum the guy who needs something else to do? <laughs> <laughs> like, is he, like, he would play the Joe Bang character, right? Right, yeah. He has to, right? He's got to be the one to do an accent outside of his usual range. He's got to be the one to put on a little bit more of that, that character actor hat. Got to do a little bit more of a bit. Does yeah. that mean that Daniel Craig would be the leader in the scenario, or are we upgrading, like, Adam Driver to the Jimmy role? Oh, so, I sorry, I meant in, like, a totally new heist movie. I gotcha. do want this to be an original <laughs> heist movie that needs who to be are done. You, yeah. Like, who's your dream cast to alongside Channing Tatum doing a character actor? Who do you want to see in this heist movie? Like, who, if you could get anyone, who would you want to be in this, on this team? Okay, here we go. What if mm-hmm. this was, like, Spring Breakers? <laughs> do you remember Spring Breakers? <laughs> yeah. So, I like, what if it's set, like, in, in like, Miami, in, like, Cabo or like in Miami or something when people are on spring break and they're robbing someone and Channing Tatum is like the riffraff white dreadlocks guy. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. You could easily get like a Zac Efron, throw him in there for that. Yeah, Zac Efron would do really well in this in this role as well. Because he needs redemption to like be Mm -hmm. a person, be a character actor. (laughs) Ooh, I love that. I think we I think we hit it. I've run out of things to mm-hmm. say. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, we're coming in great at time. Uh, if we could get you to say one last thing, if our audience wants to hear more from you, where can they find you? Well, if you want to listen to me talk even more, <laughs> I have plenty of shows over here uh, that are part of the Multitude Podcast Collective. Uh, I am the Dungeon Master of Join the Party, an actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast. We're currently doing our third campaign, a pirate story set in the world of plant and bug people i'm also the best dm in podcasting so i think you really enjoy <laughs> that um the i'm also the host of games and feelings which is an advice podcast about games we answer your advice questions about dealing with people when you're playing video games board games tabletop rpgs escape rooms sports etc and i am also the, the coke i am also the creator of um I'm also the producer and co-creator of Tell Me About It, which is a game show run by a multi-billionaire 
making people show up and talk about their favorite things. Uh, we have a new episode coming out this Thursday. It's a new show. This is going to be our fifth episode. Um, Adel Refai of Hello from the Magic Ooh. Tavern and um, Hey Riddle Riddle is our multi plays our multi-billionaire. It's a lot of fun. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Awesome. We'll definitely check all that out. We'll have it all linked in the show notes below. And uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining me. This has been quite the ride. I had a great time. <laughs> thank you for hanging through multiple recordings and uh, the length of this heist. Um, I've got a list on my fridge. I got to go work on crossing off. So I'm off to, and uh, I can't tell you anything about the location. I got to know when to walk away from the podcast. But um, yeah, thank you for joining me. And we'll catch you guys all on the next episode. On my list of podcasting rules, I do have shit happens written four times. So <laughs> it's probably for the best. It's the only rule. <laughs> the only rule is shit happens. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on April 24th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com or check out the Movie Struck Discord for more engaging conversations about movies with other members of our community. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links for all that and more can be found in the show notes below. I'd also like to give a special shout out to all of the patrons who joined us last month. Thank you to Daniel McDonald, Gabby, Sira, Leon, Jozik, Kenna, and Conkley for helping to support the podcast. And thank you to everyone else on Patreon who's helped to keep this little show afloat. 